For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. In a world where Carolina Panthers fans have an insatiable thirst for Panthers news and opinions, only one podcast roars ferociously. It's the C3 Panthers podcast. What's the deal, Panther fans? It's your boy, the professor, a.k.a. Tony Dunn. It's the C3 Panthers podcast brought to you by CarolinaCatChronicles.com, where every Tuesday night we chop up the latest Panthers news and opinions from the fan perspective. It's the longest running Panthers podcast because we keep showing up, y'all keep showing up, and y'all keep smashing the thumbs up for us. So we appreciate that support, and I would not be able to do this without my brothers in arms here. Cody Lashney, my co-host, good to see you again, my friend. Tony Dunn, it's Tuesday night. It doesn't matter what the record for the Carolina Panthers is. There's nowhere I'd rather want to be on a Tuesday night then sitting here chilling with my boys, talking Carolina Panthers football, man. We've got a lot to talk about, as we always do. Some coaching shakeups, which has been the talk of Panther Nation. And we're going to do it tonight, man. And it's going to be a great time. And you know why it's going to be a great time? Because we're going to do it with the best Panther fans in all of YouTube. You already know them and love them. My man Drew, AJ, Lindsey, Kego Ford, Kevin Boschovin. Keylord, Maddie, Matt, Panther, Pickle, Roosevelt, Mongo, Sarah, Taylor, Ted, Seams, Tim, Estes, your boy, Trent, Tan, Tony Dunn, ain't nothing to it but to do it, brother. Let's roll. Tonight's show, Matt Rule fired Joe Brady, but may still be on the hot seat. We've got to recap or rehash the news, which um, broke on Sunday that Joe uh, Joe Brady was fired. Matt Rule chose to part ways and what he described as a football-only decision. A football decision, um, you know, a lot of people speculated on why this is, uh, not only just a lack of production, but perhaps disjointed philosophy. So we'll talk about uh, Matt Rule's decision to move on, what's next for him, and uh, how hot the seat is for Matt Rule. Uh, Will he survive this is really the question I'm going to be focusing on. And we've also got a preview plan tonight. Special guest Will McFadden from the Believe in Falcons podcast writer for the Falcoholic uh, is going to come in here and help us figure out how the heck the Panthers are um, favored by three points, which is crazy. So um, we got a lot to talk about. We've got CK in the house. How you doing, my friend? I have not seen you since the news broke that Joe Brady, uh, your favorite friend, Joe Brady, has been fired. It is no surprise to me, and it is no surprise to anybody that um, I am not surprised by this either. So, because I have been vocal, I have been opinionated on my assessment of what Joe Brady is as an offensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, again, whether or not this was a sacrifice or if it was um, a legit move that needed to be made, maybe, you know, there whether there's reality behind the stories of there not being a 
you know, uh, a smooth communication line of communication between Matt Rule, meaning they're not on the same page uh, with how they're going about the uh, the you know uh, the game plan. All that stuff doesn't matter. Joe Brady's out. Matt Rule has no further excuses at this point. Every decision he makes from this point is his own, and there is nothing else that can be put on anybody else's shoulders but Matt Rule. I don't care what they say. I am tired of the college, you know, unfortunately, as Greg has pointed out from the time, I am tired of the college coach experience. Let's get some veteran experience on this uh, coaching staff because I am over this experimentation. Joe Brady released... um Greg was interesting that uh, he didn't answer the phone call. He was tried to reach out. Uh, Matt Rule said that he reached out to him on Saturday, was unable to get in touch with him, uh, so then had to let him know on Sunday the news. But the Carolina Panthers have fired their offensive coordinator, um, and Matt Rule um, is trying not to look like a fool, but the heat, this, the seat is heating up for him, Greg. What do you think this means? Uh, was this the right time to do this? Was it inevitable, or is Matt Rule next? Uh, yes, it was the. I mean, it was, I don't say it was the right time because I don't. I mean, well, I guess it doesn't really matter because the season's lost anyway, so there's really no hope. I don't think in the future. So yeah, I guess it's the right time. Yes, is inevitable, and of course, Matt Rule is still in the hot seat. He better be on the hot seat because CK took the words right out of my mouth, man. He's responsible for everything. He has no more excuses, none whatsoever, man. Everything, with the exception of an offensive line, has been given to him. You know, um, if he can't get it done, man, it's time for him to go. And I don't know what the Carolina Panthers are going to be if he's with us next year. Can, you know, I've always been on this hill. I don't yeah. like the guy. I wanted to give him a chance, but giving him a chance is starting to run real thin right now. Yeah, and 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 to be in just to give everybody, everybody can give Greg his credit because we all were optimistic, and Greg maintained his position of Matt Rule. Is somebody who uh, says all the coach speak. He doesn't say anything of value in his pressers, which we've defended time and time again. This press conference on Monday just pointed it out even more to me because he said one statement to the reporters that angered me more than anything. And he said, I would never mislead you guys. And that has been uh. something he has done time and time and time again. Matt Rule is not it. I don't. I am like the problem is right now with Matt Rule is he's quickly losing losing the fan base and when that oh, yeah. happens we know what ha- we know what type of owner David Tepper is and he is a people pleaser type of owner that is who he is right now all I see from Matt Rule is somebody who continues to backtrack on his decisions there's reports saying that as at the end of last year Joe Brady was on the hot seat um, that there was discussions of whether he should maintain his position as an offensive coordinator. Um, I felt like it should have happened then. Um, and obviously we're running into a similar situation we had with Ron Rivera um, where people are just holding on to the rope a little bit too long. And now we're running into a situation where we're on a third year of a possible rebuild and having to restart it all. You can be a part of the show by calling in at 252-228-5098. We want to hear about your thoughts about the Carolina Panthers decision to move on from Joe Brady, the timing of the decision, and what that means for Matt Rule. So go ahead and call in the show at 252-228-5098. We'll get to your calls a little bit later, as well as you can find ways to support the show uh, in the show description and show notes below. But you can help us just by subbing up and subscribing. Go ahead, Cody. I know you want to say something. 
Yeah, I mean, I wanted to kind of get in on this. And, you know, CK and I have been on, on different pages when it comes to Joe Brady. And that, that's fine. You know, I mean, I, I know a lot of Panther fans really were tired of Joe Brady and his play calling, and they wanted him to be out out and gone. And I understand that. But um, I maintain that Joe Brady was just the fall guy. And when you look mm-hmm. at how our offensive line was built, and when you look at the quarterback decisions that have been made in Carolina, it, 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 he was never going to be successful. And that's why I was on record saying, no matter how bad our offense is, Joe Brady is not at the top of the totem pole for why the offense is this bad. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not calling him a great coach because I have no evidence to, to present to anyone that he is a great coach. All I do have and, and, and what we do have are, are little clips uh, here and there of you know stuff like this, for example. Somebody uh, tweeted this out. This was from uh, Ted Nguyen, and this was from earlier in the year when the Panthers played the Cowboys. Uh, I'll start over the, the, the play here. As soon as the, the play uh, starts, you start to see one open receiver right here, then you get a running back starting to come open in the flat. But as always, there's pressure right in his face. And this has been a, a, a story of the Panthers all year. And mm-hmm. and then uh, to top it all off, we talked about earlier in the season how Panthers receivers were dropping footballs and that, that should have been caught. Um, then we also know that there have been a ton of inaccurate passes thrown to open receivers that ultimately were not caught. And I remember saying even then that we would probably probably be having a different conversation around Joe Brady if those plays had been made. Then you look at red zone fumbles and interceptions, and it just further continues to bolster this point that, you know, what what, uh, Tony titled the show as, seats are hot in Carolina, and if anyone was going to go and be kicked out the door, it was going to be Joe Brady over Matt Rule. And this is 100% a way for Matt Rule to save face and make it look like to David Tepper that he is doing something to change the trajectory of the Carolina Panthers. The last point that I'll make, and then I'll pass the microphone here, is that one of the biggest disconnects I feel, and I would love to get everyone else's insight on this, is there was a a disconnect on what kind of offense the Panthers were going to be. And Joe Brady was brought in to be a pass-happy, lots of touchdowns, spreading out the field, throwing the football down the field type of offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. And the the Panthers were not built to successfully do that. And that those were the plays that were in Joe Brady's wheelhouse. Then you look at Matt Rule, you have someone who clearly is an old school, dare I say it, a Ron Rivera type mindset guy who wants to run the football. And then when the football wasn't being ran, he wanted to put that blame onto his offensive coordinator instead of taking that blame for himself. And I kind of feel like there were oil and water right from the jump. You got it wrong, dude. You got it wrong. Um, number one is, uh, yes, was Joe Brady a fall guy? Uh, certainly. But um, the offense is his responsibility. Uh, and, it, and it just, and it regressed. 
it regressed significantly. And we can talk about uh, problems like all these other excuse making. But at the end of the day, the offense uh, was not has not been good. And um, on top of that, but here's where you got it wrong is this narrative that they're two disjointed philosophies, I think is overblown. I think it's overblown. I don't think Matt Rule has an identity. Uh, maybe it was CK that brought this up last week or sometime as he wants to have an identity, but he just doesn't know. Somebody said this on the show. Like he wants to have an identity. He just doesn't know what it is. And right now this is someone sent me a great tweet and I got to go track it down and give him credit for it. Cause I've been using this analogy all week. And that is um, this is there's this lifeboat is full. And it's going down. There are too many people in this lifeboat, and somebody's got to get tossed overboard. And if if it's going to continue to float, or even for a little bit while longer. And so Joe Brady was the logical person, right? I mean, he's not going to rules not going to quit. I mean, he could quit and resign, I guess himself. But I mean, it's this is a move of self preservation. But here's the thing: the Panthers haven't not been running the ball enough. That hasn't been the problem. We haven't run the ball effectively. We haven't moved the chains. We have, we've had two games, guys, this season that have ended before 4 o'clock. Two games yeah. that have ended before 4 o'clock, like where to the point I'm messaging you guys, you guys want to do the show early, the post-game <laughs> show early. I mean, and what that means, and we've gotten smoked. I mean, I'm telling you, it was like 3 o'clock in the Dolphins game at the end of the third quarter. And it was like, good God, man, this game is – and it's, there's no way there's going to be enough possessions left right. for the Panthers to make any sort of comeback. So what I think this firing does is I don't think it's just a fall guy. I think this tells us that things are as bad as we speculate. Mm -hmm. If this was, hey, the Panthers screwed up and got it wrong this year, the Darnold move didn't work out, they made some bad bets on the offensive line. This wouldn't have had to have happened. But right now is, yes, they're trying to save face. They're trying to do anything, Cody. To, this is a move of self-preservation by Matt Rule. And that's it alone. And I don't know if it's going to be enough. And frankly, I don't think it will be. I think at this point right now is that the Panthers, they'd be lucky to beat the Falcons again. I'm sorry that we usually split kind of type of thing. Anyway, we beat them at their house. They beat us at our house. It happens all every year. It feels like Matt Ryan says, you know, where he throws the bird on our field or something like that. Um, the, if the Panthers come out and lay an egg to the Falcons, which I don't see why they wouldn't. And then if they don't, if, I mean, if they do do well, then you got to say, Hey, maybe, maybe Joe Brady was his inexperience is showing. But I don't think it's going to be enough. And frankly, I don't know how you go into next season with Matt Rule as the head coach. I think this is a move of self-preservation that gets him another week, maybe. Because if he didn't do this, Ooh. he might not have survived the bye week. You think he I, only has another week, maybe? I don't think so. I yeah, think that. I think, I think they'll the make season, him finish the season. season. Well, early as he's we might be having a different we might be having a different conversation if Atlanta blows us the fuck out at home. I, I, I guarantee you some heads will be rolling. But, Tony, right. you said you disagree with me about the, the, the differing philosophy. philosophy. And I yeah. hear you. And I hear you. We all agree that Matt Rule doesn't have some philosophy, some technique guru. 
be at least he, you know, he, he tries to present that he does but we right we right, right, right 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 but the bit of evidence that that al put to you and and how they their identities and their goals for the carolina panthers ultimately differed i'm gonna provide some evidence and it's none other than matt rule himself talking about the initial hiring of joe brady let's go to matt rule you know i when i took the job i decided to you know I decided to be bold and step outside my comfort zone and, um, you know, someone that I knew and went, went in a different direction. I went with Joe and I, I certainly don't look at that as a mistake. I think what Joe did the first year dealing with COVID and installing a whole new system, you know, we obviously had some turnover at the quarterback position. I think um, I look at Joe's time here as all, I see all the good things that he did. Um, you know, it's just a, no, you don't, you somebody started. had to get fired. That, that's direction. the kiss of death. The evolution and the process of building forward. Um, and I'll just say it again. I think Joe's going to have a fantastic career. Um, sometimes the worst things that happen to you are the best. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for his time here. So I, you know, I, um, he's done, he's done a lot at a young age. He's got a lot more to do and he'll do a lot of great things. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I wanted to go outside and be bold and be aggressive. And I think there's a lot of, we've had a lot of good moments and there's a lot of good things that are in the system that we'll build off of moving forward. I uh, really don't have a problem with that statement. So because. my yeah my, my my problem wasn't with the 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 statement it's when he says I went out of my comfort zone to hire Joe Brady and it, it, again like we're we're always doing this thing whose decision was it Tepper is it is it yeah is it David mm-hmm. Tepper is it Matt Rule then we were thinking about you know Scott Fitter and that was before Scott Fitter you know when we mm-hmm. brought in. Uh, so uh, my thing is this, like, if you're the head coach and, and and it's outside of your comfort zone and it's your first year in the NFL as a head coach, why are you going to go outside of your comfort zone yeah. and hire an offensive coordinator that you're not comfortable with? Right. I mean, that leads all fans back to this thing where we're wondering whether David Tepper is the Jerry Jones of the NFC South and if he's the one calling shots. And if he was the one that indeed said to Matt Rule, hey, there's this kid out, uh, down there in Baton Rouge, and they're putting up points on points on points. I want that dude to be my offensive coordinator. And, and which if if Matt Rule didn't feel comfortable in that scenario, then it's spineless of him to not be able to step up and say, yeah, that's not necessarily what I want to do here. Can we talk about how spineless it all is already? I mean, just look at his entire tenure. It's been backtracking on backtracking on backtracking. It's been, I'm going to hire Joe Brady, and then we're going to sign Teddy Bridgewater because other people, you, Teddy Bridgewater was not a sign, signing that. I like, there's just no part of me that believes that Teddy Bridgewater was assigning rules like, oh, let's go out and get this guy, right? It was, there's a connection with Joe Brady. And if anything, it might have been a Tepper move. Right, because like, oh well, this guy over here, he's got an undefeated uh, five-game stretch with the Saints, and he's got a history with Joe Brady. Let's go get this guy, and then we backtrack on him, and then we let go of Cam Newton in the meantime, and then we backtrack and we assign him back because guess who wants him back? It's Tepper. Rule Rule is just basically answering yes sir, yes sir, yes sir to David Tepper, which is what I mean. He's an owner. Don't get me wrong, but the control I feel like David Tepper has over Matt Rule is uh, is problematic. 
Yeah. Well, it, it, it's just unsettling knowing that just that statement he made a moment ago about going into it and saying he's going to do something out of his comfort zone means you, means you didn't have a plan. Not only did you veer away from your plan, you came into this whole idea with no plan at all. And it he was asked, there was a follow-up question. Is, can you elaborate? David Newton, by the way, asking the best questions again on this press conference. Um, he was asked a follow-up question by David Newton on that. And what he did clarify is that um, what he meant was is that when he says outside of his comfort zone, that he hadn't worked with him before. Right. So, I mean, just to place this a little in the context, though, is that um, he was part. Uh, I mean, Rule was sitting there watching that LSU offense. He's going into the L. I'm not convinced that Tepper made him pick this guy. I am not 100 percent. I mean, I'm not I'm not denying that's not a possibility. I'm not saying you guys are wrong in, in floating that out. It's just um, I think that Matt, Matt Rule might have been susceptible to the idea that look at this as we can come into the league. I got these young, this young coach that could be a sensation and we're going to go take over. Um, maybe he was a little wowed by the LSU 2019 season or whatever it was. I mean, there is a possibility with that. I think though, again, it was like a, if anything, it just shows a commitment. You've hired people that don't have a lot of experience at all. Right. Not only do you not have experience, your staff doesn't have experience. It was too much experimental all at once. There were too many factors. Even the Bridgewater part is based off of a five-game performance. Right. Right. I mean, is that you didn't even have a long stretch to check right. to see how Teddy and, – and he wasn't even that great, you know, in that process. He just got them continuing to win uh, with a good defense, a good run game, and things like that. Uh, so I'm not 100% convinced – that oh, that he didn't want Joe Brady, um, but I am convinced that it shows like that. This was actually I'm with you guys with the spineless part. Yeah, I don't yeah. right now. I don't see um, Rule having faith in his own plan or whatever that plan is. And like Greg said, there isn't a plan then mm -hmm. because like it's been reactionary, reactionary movement. Uh, decision after reactionary decision and arguably this is even a reactionary decision is that you probably could have just gone the whole seat to the end of the season with joe brady and then right. done this in the off season i'm not necessarily sure uh, that this we don't get better by not having joe brady probably right right no well, and can i tell you my fear my biggest fear okay Put put this in context. You said context, Tony, and I think context is something you know that we we continue to need. Look at the philosophy that Ron Rivera had as a coach when he was the Carolina Panthers head coach, right? A, a physical defense, but ultimately a run first football team, right? Now a lot of teams are built that way. In and of itself, it's not special. But how long have we wanted the Panthers to have that dynamic offense? Tony, I know we've been talking about this for seasons here on the C3 podcast. The, the amount of explosive touchdown plays that the Panthers have, dude, it, it feels like that hasn't been a part of our offense in eons. That bucket okay? is empty. Yeah. My, my biggest fear is that we actually had the type of play caller that we were looking for. And my biggest fear is that Joe Brady does continue to go on go somewhere else. Yeah, he took his lumps and bruises here. But what if he goes somewhere else and puts up 
and, you know, gets a better O-line and a better quarterback. And then he continues to have a bunch of success that we're still failing to replicate here going forward. That is Who my cares? Good. I mean, I hope it happens for him. I hope the guy has a wonderful life. But, I mean, it doesn't matter. Is that nobody's going to survive this, dude. Not even Matt Rule's going to survive this. Mm-hmm. Like, well, every week is that it seems like it, that it, Matt Rule might. You might be saying that about Matt Rule in two weeks. Right. Or in, at the end of December, right? Is what I think this shows us is that this isn't just fans showing disappointment in this team, right? It's one thing if the fans had inflated expectations because of the way this team performed in the very beginning. It's one thing if fans are, are calling for us to fire Mike Shula at every time he, you know, he was the offensive coordinator. It's one thing for fans to be talking about bring back Cam. It's what, you know, that's what fans do, right? We're supposed to, like, we're supposed to be able to say, well, Joe Brady is the worst thing ever. And if we didn't have, he's overrated. The problem is that they're saying that in the building right now. This is a panic. This is, this is the house is burning down around me. Because if that is the case, Cody, if he is the next whatever savant and he just needed an offensive line and a quarterback, well, guess what? They don't think that. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you can see through what he's saying because, the like, okay, we were just talking about a moment ago how he was – he said he had to step out of his comfort zone. And his excuse for that was he'd never worked with uh, Brady before. Well, if you're coming out of college into the pros to a whole new team, isn't – probably 95% of the people that you're working with, people you've never worked with before? No, like not him. To, Every person not on the staff, coaching staff is, is Baylor, Temple. Oh, uh, okay. Like It's everybody. Like If you look oh. at the coaching staff, the amount of people that are connected to Matt Rule, which is not uncommon with coaches. Let's be real about it. Like when coaches leave, um, or like for instance, when, uh, when uh, what was it? I guess Eric Washington left. We had to basically force uh not eric washington when uh steve wilkes steve left, wilkes uh we were having to beg eric washington to stay as our defensive coordinator because he was going to take him too like it's not abnormal for them to take people that they're familiar with and and bring it to the new team that they're at but the amount of people that have been brought from matt rules past has been astonishing and the fact is the reason that i am starting to really like be upset with that is the amount of people that have no NFL experience or very, even if they have an NFL experience, it's such a low level compared to where they're at on this coaching staff that it's just, it's, it's unacceptable. Like you're in the NFL and, and the problem is, is regardless of how bad your team is, you should still be able to find a way to be competitive. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's take a look at the Washington Reds, their Washington football team. Right. Let's take a look at these guys. Six because great. They're, oh, by the way, our New England wins with throwing three passes last night. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. I mean, you look at this, and, I mean, let's talk about the Dolphins. They have a, just as bad of an offensive line as we have, and they're still out there doing what they're doing because they have great coaches doing what they need to do. I don't care how bad your offensive line is. If you can't coach well, like, it, the coaching is a big part of it, and your coach can do a lot, but uh, there's a little bit that they're limited to. We've been dealing with a bad offensive line for over a decade, but we've still found a way under right coaching to make that offensive line work. Right. And it may not be great. And it may be makeshift. It may be band-aids on band-aids on band-aids, and it may come back to haunt you, but we found a way to do it and be successful in the past. Joe Brady has done that zero times in his entire career as an NFL offensive coordinator. And that's why 
I'm of the mind that that's okay. Matt Rule, no spine. I'm still on that. I still believe that he has. Uh, I, I don't believe that Matt Rule has made any decisions himself. I think everything has come down from up top, and Matt Rule is just a a, a puppet. You know, it's starting to look more and more like that. It's harder to um, to believe otherwise. Uh, Greg, to your point, is that I, I think you're right, though, Greg, is that you need to be prepared to work with people uh, that you don't know and some things like that. But here is the I guess this goes back to experience. Right. And is that even Matt Rule has limited experience. Right. right. And if you have been coaching for 20 25 years or something at a high level and it may be in college you have sent players on to the league you've sent coaches on to the league and you've developed relationships over time i don't think matt rule has a ton of relationships at the end of the day i think they're all kind of uh based on these two moments of temple and baylor and then you get to go well tom coughlin it's like so he this is what happens when you just don't have a ton he doesn't have the pedigree in the background to know even with kyle shanahan think about kyle shanahan he grew up with his dad right yeah in the freaking nfl and this is the whole point is uh why this was a bad move um to put this type of staff together is that you don't need everybody to not have experience to be an experience somebody needs to have experience but right now you gotta wonder if matt rule feels this threatened by people with experience because look you can't it was almost to the point where we didn't even know who we could make offensive coordinator right like i mean like what you got one guy on the staff that called plays in baylor one time Mm -hmm. or something like that um is that like there wasn't even a guy to go to you can't even fire matt rule technically and appoint an interim head coach who are you gonna do who's gonna be you think phil snow's just gonna step up and do that like there is nothing there so i think that this is i think the building is burning down right now i don't see matt rule coaching the carolina panthers in 2023 and i don't want to hear none of this nonsense about the contract and this and that and how much money he paid this we're talking about a mega billionaire a billionaire dude that money is he's losing more money by the Panthers sucking than he would if he fired Matt rule and just swallowed that contract. Yep. Yeah. And um, delaying the inevitable, just to put in this one more year. What all of a sudden who is what's Matt, what's, what's Matt rule going to do? He's going to have to go shop for what a seasoned offensive coordinator. Yeah, man. I mean, we're, 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 we're moving backward. And then by the way, if, Matt Rule is indeed on the hot seat, then it's like you're just going to bring in a coordinator for one year. Let's say we give Matt Rule the benefit of the doubt and he gets another year. Then you're bringing in an offensive coordinator. If we don't have a lot of faith in Matt Rule, then that same offensive coordinator is going to be out the very next year. So Yeah, like, and he's not going to have a quarterback. He's not going to yeah. have an offensive line. you got to yeah, just you gotta blow it up like the Arizona did. Arizona... They recognized they made a mistake. They got Steve Wilkes in there to be a fall guy. They recognized that, and they probably did it on purpose, to be honest. But they screwed up. Once they saw Rosen was a bum, they said, you know what? There's no sense in trying to prove that we were right or our decision was right. We got to just own up and say we made a mistake and fire a clean house and start all over again. We did an in-depth comparison of the two staffs when it comes to the Carolina Panthers and the Arizona Cardinals, 
And the continued thing we saw between them on this podcast was that despite Cliff Kingsbury being a young coach, he was a the offensive genius. So you don't have to be threatened by the coordinator or something like that and be, or worry about them leaving and how you're going to replace it. Matt rules, not that. And two, he has a more seasoned coaching staff. Right. Um, yeah. And that is just don't not what we have. So I think this this lifeboat is going down. This buys rule a little bit more time, but he would not have fired Joe Brady at this moment if things were like just disappointing. Oh, the season's disappointing, but we're heading in the right direction. Hmm. That's not what the case is. And I don't know how bringing in one person next year is going to fix the mess that's been caused. It's not going to make Joe. It's not going to make Matt Rule any more confident in what he's trying to do. He has yeah, no idea what he wants. He doesn't know. Yeah, All he knows how to say is, "We need to be fast, physical, and a bunch of alpha males out there." Well, and more importantly, not only does he not know what he wants, but he doesn't know how to evaluate talent. And likely or not, that is a part of his job. I know he is not the general manager. But it is a part of his job to be able to evaluate the talent on his football team. And he was never properly able to do so. And this offensive line is the biggest indicator of that very truth. We have a fantastic guest, and we're going to get to him in, a, in just, a, just a hot second. But real quick, uh, listen, we've got a bunch of freak shows in the chat who once again come here and they beg us to help uh, or you know to have us help them satisfy this weird urge that they have to be shamed. So who are we to deny you, man? Why don't you talk to him, Big Papa? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, I have one thing to say to all of you legends who are watching right now. Let's take a look at what we've got. 120 people watching. And only 60 people have hit the like button? That's half of you motherfuckers. Subscriber shame. Subscriber shame. 119 people watching. 65 thumbs up and counting. Do what the man said, y'all. Subscriber shame. Hit that thumbs up. Hit that like button. Hit the notification bell for every single time we go live and bring Panther Nation this content that you are so craving, it helps us grow the channel and helps us get in front of Panther fans everywhere. Tony Dunn, the mic is yours. Um, guys, we've got a good show. We still got a preview. We got a game to play. The Panthers have a season to play, and they will be playing uh, the Atlanta Falcons this upcoming week. Uh, and somehow they have become three-point favorites and that tells you how bad things are here. And so we're gonna kind of, we gotta get into this matchup and do a little preview. We've got Will McFadden from the Falcoholic, also from Believe in Falcons podcast. Will, welcome back to the C3 Panthers podcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Man, we appreciate it. Uh look, is that right now is uh you guys are in the first year of a rebuild, right? New coach. Um continuing to overhaul the off uh, the roster there's been some changes uh yep. calvin ridley has taken the season off and potentially we don't even know if he's gonna play football again or i don't know if he is but uh the panthers right now 
The building is on fire. Chicken little. The sky is falling. <laughs> Things are bad. You guys are in the first year, so you can, you can be optimistic going forward. Tell us about the Falcon season so far and just the kind of overall state of the team. Um, it's so it's really interesting, right? I, I think that when they got off to they got off to a slow start, lost their first two games, but then they they started kind of winning a couple of games here and there, pulled even to five hundred a couple of different times, but have never been able to get over that hump and have never been able to get you know into the plus column um, in terms of wins and losses. And if you look at the like totality of their season so far their wins have come against bad teams <laughs> their losses have come against better teams. And it's just been that way for the Falcons all year. They, they lose to the teams that you kind of predict them to lose to. And they're beating the teams that are like the, the jets, the giants, the dolphins, you know, that caliber of team Atlanta's been able to beat. But that's why I think a lot of people were looking at this last week um, against Tampa Bay as a chance for Atlanta um, coming off of another win, granted that was against Jacksonville, but it was a, another chance to see Atlanta against a good team. And they took it into the fourth quarter, only down 10 with a chance to do it, but it was clear that Tampa just had more talent on both sides of the ball. And that's what I think everybody has arrived, uh, the conclusion they've arrived at. The talent is just not there on this roster for them to really make a serious run. They've kind of, I think, overwhelmed a little bit so far. I think they've been a pleasant surprise with winning some of the gritty games that they have. There's just the talent on this roster is is a little bit too far away from where it needs to be, I think, for them to really be a serious playoff contender this year. Well, the, uh, you know, the Panthers and the Falcons played earlier this year. And the the Panthers were able to come away with a W in that. And we felt like the next time we saw the Falcons, we would be ready to steamroll. That we'd be on a roll. <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be making a legitimate playoff push. And, dude, if, if we're being very frank, man, I mean, a lot of fans are, are now, you know, uh, really racking their brains wondering how we're going to squeeze even another single victory out of our season. You know, the Panthers right now, are they have the same exact win-loss total as the Falcons do. Uh, I mean, one, what, why do you think uh, the, the – the so, for example, we put this up earlier. The uh, betting line was um, right here. The Panthers are only a minus-three home favorite. What what do you think of this matchup? Do you are you looking at two evenly matched football teams, or do you see any one team having some kind of advantage over the other going into this matchup? So generally, right, uh, the home team would get a three point kind of bump anyway. So I think Vegas is saying that on a neutral field, this is essentially a, a, a toss up. Yeah, a pick them, and so I think that's about right. I. I was at that um, Panthers-Falcons game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and it was just kind of an ugly game. It was a, it was a muddy, uh, defensive type of, of game where neither offense really got too much going, and I think that was the type of, of game that suited Carolina really well um, because this is, I, at the time, they were without Christian McCaffrey for that game. So, it you know, limiting possessions, 
uh, keeping the ball away from like Corderell Patterson, Kyle Pitts. I think Calvin Ridley. No, that was that was the first game where he it was it was ruled like right before kickoff. Yeah, um, he said that he, he announced he wasn't so going to was, play. Yeah, yeah, yep. I remember getting that notification walking into the stadium, and I was like, "Well, that's weird." Um, so yeah, so that I mean, that was a big factor, I think, in that game. But I, I think it's only right that they're both kind of the same spot. If I remember correctly, the last time we spoke, it was a little bit of the same theme. It seemed like two organizations going like this, you know, kind of like missing each other. The Panthers seemed like after a great start. You guys were now spiraling downwards. The Falcons were were getting some momentum back up. And now it's like both teams, you don't know what to make of it. And right. I know I know Cam, I watched the game uh, against Miami. That was really rough. So now you have no idea what you get uh, at the quarterback position. Christian McCaffrey's now out again. Joe Brady's gone. So I'm really curious to see just like what what does this Panthers team look like? Where do they, what are they building on? What, like what is the future here? but the Falcons are trying to figure out what this season is and they're trying to figure out, you know, what the identity of their team is as well. So yeah, both teams are really trying, I think, to figure out what they are moving forward. I, uh, I think this is a bad line. I would not take this bet personally. I mean, look, the Panthers just fired their offensive coordinator in shambles. There's no reason to pick the Panthers in this game other than I guess that they beat them earlier in the season, but I wouldn't even declare us even a similar team to that moment. Um, it seems like the Falcons, despite having uh, problems on the roster, right? You mean, like you said, a deficiency of talent in certain ways. Uh, losing Calvin Ridley, who is, um, you know, we can argue about how how important he is as a receiver, but he's still probably one of your better players. Hayden Hurst has been uh, hurt. I think he was activated to the roster today. Not sure about that. But still, is that it seems like this team, the Atlanta Falcons, team is putting up a fight down the stretch they might not be winning the games but um you played tampa bay pretty tough in that game i mean you didn't quit they didn't just smoke you there was some you know you gave them some problems i i think the only thing is the dallas game makes y'all look worse than you probably are because that score was so what lopsided um do you think that this team is fighting for arthur it's arthur smith right is his name yeah. What's his yeah, what's and, his name? What's the coach's name? The guy, the Tennessee Titans guy. I mean, who is using Cordell Patterson uh, all over the place. I mean, I think they're like I wouldn't be upset or overwhelmed or underwhelmed by this season if I'm a Falcons fan. No, yeah, and and I think even even kind of using the phrase fighting for has almost like a negative connotation and I think that there's like they are buying in. I think they understand Ooh, and like everybody it. When when you ask them, any player, you know, from Matt Ryan to Corderell Patterson to, you know, Grady Jarrett, whoever, they've kind of understood that the games they've won, even against the bad teams in this league, they've had to kind of like scratch and claw and fight. And yeah, they've they've lost Calvin Ridley, but they've won these games without him. And that, you know, if you had said before the season, you know, imagine if if this was just Calvin Ridley blows out his knee in week one and is just lost for the year. Like that's, if you had said that before the season, you're going to be without Calvin Ridley. Uh, like that would have been really, really tough because he's a top three player on this team. And so for them to even have done this without him on the offense speaks to the identity that they want to build. And I've been thinking about this a lot uh, recently. If you look at where Arthur Smith came from, Tennessee, Tennessee has been such a hard team. I think for people to, figure out or put a label on 
when, you know, in terms of how the national media speaks about them, how casual fans view this team, we love to glom on to an identity of a team, whether it be a single player like the quarterback or, you know, in Tennessee's case, it was Derrick Henry, but they weren't known for any one thing outside of Derrick Henry. And it's just because he was huge and that's what people could latch onto. But Tennessee finds a lot of different ways to win games. When they're without Derrick Henry, they still find ways to win games. They scratch and claw and they do whatever it takes. And that's what Arthur Smith, I think, is trying to bring to Atlanta. And there's a reason why people kind of outside of Corderell Patterson, they don't know what the heck this Atlanta team is. And I think it's because Arthur Smith wants to be a little bit of everything at the same time so that he can change his game plan depending on who's feeling it one particular day or who might be available. He talks a lot about injuries and health, and we're seeing that he can overcome that this season. What's the scoop with Calvin Ridley? We really don't know anything. Uh, every every week, like, what even has happened? About just it. for us that are just kind of watching, I just heard, I just saw him make a statement saying, "Step away from football for mental health reasons." Is that like all we that's, know? That's the last. That's the last time uh, any statement has been made, and that's the last time the team has commented on it. So that's that's all we know as of now. Mm-hmm. What's going down with Mike Davis? How come Cordell? How come Mike <laughs> Davis? Is he good? Like I, I like Mike Davis, but good God, he hasn't got no play or no traction for the Falcons. Well, he it was announced today. He's nominated uh, as the Falcons Walter Payton Man of the Year. So they uh, like nominee. him. So as a yeah, person. I mean, mm-hmm. he no, he's he's definitely been. Uh, he he loves to be back here in Atlanta, and no, the teams embraced him. I think everybody loves him. Seems like a great guy. Uh, he's. He start. He got back into. It was interesting against Tampa Bay. He looked almost more nimble than he had seemed for much of the year. Like he kind of got a, a couple of passes, some screens, right along the sideline, and was kind of like running right on the balls of his feet. Quick, quick high steps, like running quicker than I had seen him at any point so far this year. And he's been getting his opportunities, but it's just been. Always Corderell's Patterson's ability to make something out of nothing. What I think Mike Davis has done a really good job of is sticking to the way the play has been designed and drawn up. But I think that's almost been to his detriment at times. And I think because of his kick return nature background, uh, Cordero Patterson does a really good job of just kind of saying, screw that if it's not there and figuring out what is. And so he goes outside of the parameters of the design of the play a little bit more, but that's worked for him this year. Uh, But if Mike Davis is fresh down the stretch, I think that's a huge benefit for Atlanta. He looked really fresh last week, uh, basically had about 70 combined yards and it was one of his better games. So if he can get going, I mean, that would be as big as probably anything that could happen for the Falcons over their final five or six games. Go ahead. Man. Okay, a uh, quick question about Atlanta, and I'm going to put you in a scenario here to kind of see uh, where you're going in the future. We were talking about, uh, you know, looking for a new identity, and they're very similar to Carolina. It's kind of going through a rebuild. So you're the GM, and you get the first pick, and you're guaranteed that this first pick is going to be an A plus franchise player for the next ten years. Other than quarterback, who do you pick? It could be any position. They're going to be an A plus player. Other than quarterback, who do you pick that's going to impact Atlanta the most? And they could use in the future to rebuild the franchise with. Oh, it's it's pass rusher. It's an edge rusher. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's you think, it's you think that will push you closer to the to, to like 
the the, the line where you want to be, where the Atlanta want to be, if they can carry a team with a pass rusher. Yes, I mean, it's a great because pick. I I believe I believe that there are um realistically, I think two positions that allow you to that unlock so many defensive capabilities. Mm-hmm. One would be an elite pass rusher, the other would be an elite cornerback. Um, okay. so either the ability to lock down one offensive weapon or, you know, have essentially a four man rush and be able to do so many different things in coverage and still generate pressure consistently. I mean, those are two things that can open up so many defensive possibilities. If the the Falcons have not had an elite pass rusher since John Abraham, mm-hmm. um, consistently, you know, they haven't had anybody before that since like Patrick Kearney. So it's really few and far between for the Falcons. And getting somebody who can just be a cornerstone edge rusher for the next 15 years, absolutely, that would be yeah. the pick. It's a good call. Talk to me a little bit about the seasons that Mike, uh, that Kyle Pitts, um, Terrell, who is it? Is it uh, uh, AJ, AJ Terrell and Lindstrom are having for, for you guys? Okay, so uh, so Kyle Pitts, he's he's really the... I guess person who probably was most negatively impacted by Calvin Ridley's absence, because we were sitting here talking about who was going to benefit more, you know, was it going to be Calvin who now when Kyle Pitts is now the focus of defenses, Calvin Ridley still gets kind of that single coverage. Can he eat up against that? Or if people focus on Calvin Ridley, now you've got Kyle Pitts who could do without both of them. Kyle has not struggled, but he just has not been able to be the focal point of the offense, I think. And Matt Ryan and I think Arthur Smith have been content to allow defenses to just focus on him, kind of take him off the board and open up other things for their other receivers. You know, Russell Gage had a big game last week. So it's not uncommon to be kind of midway through the second quarter and not have heard Kyle Pitts's name mentioned. That's That's been the case the past, mm-hmm. you know, three or four games. But then he might catch three balls in the span of five minutes for 48 yards. And it, so he makes plays when he gets the ball in his hands. Just hasn't happened for him a lot. A.J. Terrell, just an absolute breakout season for him in his second year. I mean, he has really kind of hit that peak. He, he jumped early. It was first, second, third game. It was clear that he was on a different level. And he has not dipped or dropped off at all so far this year. Every week, doesn't matter if it's against... You know, Mike Evans last week, Amari Cooper, you know, when they played the Cowboys, like when the Falcons defense does poorly, AJ Terrell has been the exception to that almost in every instance. And when they've played well, he is at the forefront of them playing well. So by and large, his season really has been flawless. And Chris Lindstrom, kind of the same thing on the offensive line. Even when the offensive line has had their rough days, you look at pro football focus, you look at whatever metric you want to use, or you just use your eyeballs and watch him play. He's consistent, rock solid, uh, both in pass protection and um, as a run blocker. So those are two good young players for the Falcons to build around. Hopefully Kyle Pitts gets back going over these final games, but we've seen enough uh, from him both as a receiver and a blocker to know that he's still really going to be good. Pro Bowl nods for them? Uh, For Terrell and Lindstrom, I definitely would. I I think Kyle Pitts is going to get in there. I think it's probably more name value than than it is, you know, pure uh, production at this point. But who knows? He also he has that sneaky production. Like I was saying, he'll he'll get three three catches, and you look up, and he has fifty eight yards, and that kind of adds up over over a season. So, yeah, why not all three? Sure. 
<laughs> yeah, so I'm a I'm a I'm a Clemson fan. So it's a it's always a bitter a bittersweet pill to swallow when I see guys like graded Jarrett and and uh, and uh, AJ Terrell balling out for you oh, guys. Yeah. yeah, I know that they're uh, very talented football players, but no, let's go back to that number four pick in the draft because a lot of Panther fans. Uh, we still feel like we have egg on our face for not drafting Justin Fields. Mm. And and look, and, Rashad Slater. and listen, this may not be the, the like you may not be the guy for me to pick and have this fight with, but like so many Falcons fans still just think that Matt Ryan is the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> he is Aaron Rodgers, and they they did the right thing by continuing to go with, with Matt Ryan. I wanted to get your take on that. Did you guys make, um, in retrospect, the correct decision with that number four pick? And um, what do you think of Matt Ryan? And what and is his future. his future going forward with the Atlanta Falcons? Yeah, that that's that's a lot uh, right there. Um, <laughs> but but no, this this is awesome because so I I was I was very much pro Justin Fields uh, leading up to the draft. I, I under, like, I, I think he does a lot of things really well. I'm sure you guys all like Justin Fields uh, for, for similar reasons. That's fine. I understand why they didn't do it. And I am also, I can be on the one hand, a pro Justin Fields, and I can also be a pro Matt Ryan. And that's what I am. Um, Because I think Matt Ryan is still a very, very good quarterback. And, you know, I think, I think so much of the way that we evaluate, certainly now the quarterback position, um, both from the lens of highlights that we'll see on Twitter, but fantasy football, the way that we talk about, about the different quarterbacks, it's the guys who just make these viral plays in these viral moments. Matt Ryan is not going to be that type of quarterback, but what he does and what separates good quarterbacks, really, if you watch them closely from, either young quarterbacks hoping to be good and expecting to be good, but then just these journeyman average, Andy Dalton, these types of players, Mitch Trubisky, that type of player is Matt Ryan will throughout a game, stress the defense at every single part of the field. No defense can get comfortable when they're playing him because at any point, any part of the field is open for him to throw to. That's a simple thing, but it's also a complex thing because you see so many of these quarterbacks rely on just these underneath things. They're going to take everything and just a defense has, doesn't have to worry about any of that. Matt Ryan is also, you saw this stuff that came out on Twitter today. I think it was the most quarterback hits this season. A team has given up. The Falcons are dead last. Matt Ryan has been hit 92 times this season. I think the second worst is at like 74. So Matt Ryan has been absolutely crushed this year, but he makes amazing throws kind of in the face of all this pressure. So I think the Falcons could certainly do far worse than Matt Ryan, even if they come back with him next year. But what I think he at least does is give them a pretty high floor while they try to get the rest of their roster as close to, you know, average to above average as possible. And then you figure out what you need to do with the quarterback when you come to that road, but you hope to have the roster in a really good supporting su- spot for whatever decision you make at that point. What's the biggest positive uh, that or surprise, like uh, positive surprise to this Falcons team this year? Pleasant surprise, maybe would be the right word phrase. Yeah, 
Um, I would say, you know, I Corderell Patterson obviously okay. is, is. Has is he played easy... safety? Is that true? Has he played he, on the defense? He played, he played one snap when it was like okay. a hail mary situation. Oh, okay. it, was, it was like against Jacksonville. I think it was. It was either. It was either late in the fourth quarter or it was right before halftime. But yeah, they, they it's same thing with like Julio. How they used to line him up deep at safety at the end of games to just knock a ball down. It was basically that. So okay. not don't make anything too too big about that. Um, but just because uh, the Cordero Patterson uh, answer is overplayed at this point because he's been he's been the surprise of the season for them. I would say that the Falcons have had some young um, defensive players, particularly, start to kind of find. Uh, I think their their groove a little bit. They've had um, Ade Ogundeji, who was a, a fifth round draft pick. Well done this past name. year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I had to think about it for a second. But yeah, Ade Ogundeji, and he's been pretty much in the rotation from the very beginning, which is unusual for this rookie class. I get the sense that Arthur Smith wanted to bring along, especially the defensive guys, slower because Dean Pisa's scheme is a little bit more complex. It's versatile. They mix it up a lot. And he was right in the mix from the beginning, and he's starting to really make plays. He's getting some forced fumbles. He's uh, getting some sacks and being really good against the run. But now we're seeing other guys around him, like Richie Grant, the safety they selected in the second round. He's getting a a bit more playing time and starting to make some impact plays. Uh, And then just Taquan Graham, another fifth-round pick for the Falcons, these young defensive players are starting to get into the mix for Atlanta. And so far when they've been in there, they've been holding their own and playing well. And the Falcons, if, if there's one side of the ball that they really need to improve to get back to being competitive quickly, it's still the defensive side of the ball. What's been the biggest disappointment for this Falcons team this season? The, the passing attack. I mean, and I would say the offense at large, but the run game has been better than it's been in, in years. And that has been kind of the focus, I think, for this staff is I do think they want the run game to be the identity and the foundation of what they do offensively. But that's come at the expense of the passing game. And yes, they have not had Calvin Ridley, no Julio Jones this year, obviously. And they're relying on on Kyle Pitts, Russell Gage, has missed time. So yeah, Matt Ryan hasn't had weapons. But still, this is a, an offense where even the past few years, they've been able to put up 350 passing yard games and they have not been able to do that really much at all so far this year. What do you see different um, happening this Sunday than the first time the Panthers played the Panthers-Falcons matchup? Yeah, I, I think the Falcons will be able to run the ball on, on Carolina. and I, I well, think We haven't that, been able to stop anybody, so I can't. <laughs> Stop you so, from saying I can't even stop you from saying that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they they in back to back weeks. So th- this has been the one thing where if, if you do want to buy into the Falcons, maybe getting something going and why I draw comparisons to kind of that Tennessee Titans um, team. When they found the identity, they found it through the run game. The past two weeks, they played Jacksonville. They played Tampa Bay. Jacksonville was third against the run defensively. Tampa Bay was the number one run defense in the league. <sighs> They gained 100 yards on the ground against both teams. Uh, against Jacksonville, I think they had a near 147. Against Tampa Bay, it was like 126 or something. So two really good run defenses. The Falcons ran the ball really, really well. I think they'll be able to move the ball 
on the ground against Carolina. And then off of that, I think they're going to be able to hit some, some plays through the air because now hopefully they know going in that they won't have Calvin Ridley. So uh, their game plan will probably be a little bit different than it was the first time around. But yeah, that, that would be the main thing is I think they'll be able to really run the ball against Carolina. Do you think that the Falcons are trending in the right direction? I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, zoom out a little bit and just look with a, a broader lens here outside of this season. Are you guys, I mean, do you think this team in the next year or two is a legitimate contender to compete for a Super Bowl? Um, Super Bowl, probably not. I would say that they are, would be a contender probably for like the NFC South. <sighs> Um, with, with maybe a puncher's chance, you know, maybe they're third or fourth in the NFC. If you're talking about teams that could win the Super Bowl, but maybe not like the primary contender, um, for a Super Bowl, because I think if you look at this season, they're starting to do the little things to win games well, which is what they have not been doing the last couple of years. That's why they've been losing in really frustrating ways. It's these, you know, pre-snap penalties. It's not jumping on an onside kick when it's right there in front of you. It's these little maddening things that weren't being done. They're starting to do that. They're winning these games late in the fourth quarter. Even if they've given up the lead, they then come back and they're able to get it back and, and win the game. So for that reason, I do think that they're moving in the right direction from kind of an identity and mental toughness standpoint. They're getting the young guys, these reps, late in these games that are close and they're learning how to finish these games positively. There's just still going to be so much turnover. I think this off season, so many of these guys came in on one year deals. They could be gone as free agents. They could come back. We have no idea. They're not going to have a lot of money this off season to really bring in guys on long-term deals. I think anyway, so really from a personnel standpoint, I, there's just going to be so much more turnover that I don't know how much, frankly, you can carry over year to year. From what they're doing this season, you just have to hope that the young players that are going to be here um, for the next three, four years, that these guys are getting the message loud and clear. And that is where I do think we are starting to see signs of that. So from that perspective, yes, I, I think things are going in the right direction. One of the things for Carolina that's been uh, or that has been the focal point of our discussion for the last few weeks um, and was continued to be with the news that we fired Joe Brady, our offensive coordinator, has to do with Matt, the Matt Rule experiment. Matt Fool, as we call him on this podcast at times. <laughs> uh, but really what we've circled back to is the lack of experience that uh, his staff has at the NFL level. Arthur Smith comes into the Falcons. It sounds like you guys, or at least the way I've seen the players respond to him, uh, kind of how you're talking that you feel like you got the right man or a good guy for the position. Talk a little bit about the staff he put together and do you see any differences? Is is this like a starkly different scenario than the Panthers, a guy that has had NFL experience versus a team that is doing this crazy, bizarre experiment? Uh, because that's what I think is that the problem isn't that Matt Rule doesn't have experience. It's that everybody around him also doesn't have NFL experience. So just talk a little bit about the coaching's decision and hire, how it's working out. Yeah, I think first off, Arthur Smith has been uh, very complimentary of his staff throughout the entire season. You know, when any like when the Cordell Patterson um, 
is he's a great example because they had uh, two coaches come in from the Chicago Bears, Dave Ragone, their um, offensive coordinator, even though Arthur Smith calls plays, Dave Ragone's their offensive coordinator. Uh, and then Charles London, who is their quarterback's coach, I believe was uh, the running back's coach in um, Chicago. They both advocated for Cordero Patterson um, to come to Atlanta. They said, look, we know what he can do. He can be an asset here for us. Arthur Smith gave credit to general manager Terry Fontenot for listening to these coaches, for going and seeking out uh, Cordero Patterson, bringing him in here. And then obviously we've seen what he's done. So he credits his staff with having a very collaborative nature. There's kind of uh, everybody throws out ideas. No idea it's a bad idea. We all listen, figure it out. Whatever's best for the team is what we go with. So from that perspective, I think it's great. I think the key difference between Arthur Smith and, and Matt Rule and, you know, I, I don't know Matt Rule's staff too closely, so I'm, I'm kind of taking your your word here that, you know, young staff, college, maybe focused staff. Um, Arthur Smith came up through the NFL. You know, he cut his teeth with uh, in Washington, came in, was with Tennessee for eight, nine years, rose up through the ranks, was with Mike Rabel, you know, NFL player in New England, like as NFL as it gets. And the guys that he brought are young guys, but they're young NFL guys. Dave Ragone, NFL guy. Uh, TJ Yates, who was in there as their passing game coordinator, went to my high school. Uh, but he he played in the NFL for a long time um, and was a quarterback. So now he's in the NFL. These these are, and it is a different environment. College to the NFL is, is a very different scenario. The locker room, you have to respect these guys. And that's why I think a lot of the players respect Arthur Smith is he just calls he calls it like it is. He holds guys accountable. He says, look, that's not going to get it done. You got to do it this way. If you can't do it this way, we're going to figure out who can. And we, you know, we want you to be able to do it this way. We're going to help you get there. But at the end of the day, you have to do this. And if you can't, that's on you. That's not on us. We're going to figure it out with or without you. And I, I players understand that. They're professionals. They get they have a job to do. Just just be straight with them. Um, so Arthur Smith so far. I think the players really like him. Uh, the coaching staff, I think, is getting the most out of a roster that is limited talent-wise, and they're getting guys to buy in. So from a from a kind of an organization standpoint so far, uh, I really think that everybody's pretty pleased um, with how everything's unfolded. Are you surprised by the success Dan Quinn's having with the Cowboys' defense? Um, not necessarily. Uh, because I, I do think that he he is a good coach. And and from having sat down and, and talked with him one-on-one -on -one many times and, and just talking, hearing him talk about defense and the way that he, he was ahead of the curve in so many ways, I just think that being a head coach comes with so many different drains on your time, on your focus, on your energy. You have to make so many decisions that aren't even related to the game on Sunday. But because you're the head coach, it runs by your desk and you got the final say, yes or no. And I think that when he's able to just sit down and when he's able, he loves to just be with his players on the practice field, running drills, holding the pads, getting in there with them, yelling, getting in their face, hyping them up, punching them in the chest pads, you know, getting them going. That is when he is at his happiest. And I think as a defensive coordinator, he is able to really do that, dig his teeth, into the defensive side of the ball, own 45 men, you know, on that, or, or 30 players on the roster. These are his 30. 
and they are going to get after your, you know, butt on game day. And, and uh, like, that's what he loves. So no, I'm not surprised that he's doing really well. I think he's lucky that he got um, some really incredibly talented players in Micah Parsons and, and Trayvon Diggs, not to mention, you know, the other guys that they have um, over there, but yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for Dan Quinn. Uh, I'm not surprised by it. I didn't maybe think it would happen this quickly though. That, that maybe is a little surprising. Right. Yeah. Especially after struggling so much uh, in the past, the Cowboys, you know, they put together, they got it. They yeah. turned it around pretty quickly. All right. Uh, great stuff. Um, tell, Will, tell them how they can find your work. Uh, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden. Um, you can find my stuff at the Falcoholic, uh, thefalcoholic.com. And then uh, Believe in Falcons our podcast that goes up Mondays and Fridays during the season. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I do not wish you guys luck this weekend, but I do (laughs) think we can uh, agree on one thing. And it's just what this kid said to us one time. That's what we can agree on. Uh, Yes, we can. All right, man. Wolf McFadden believe in Falcons podcast. Thanks for coming back on the show, man. Yeah, thank you guys. Anytime. Thanks. All right, guys. Uh, Good stuff there as we preview the Carolina Panthers uh, hosting the Atlanta Falcons. And I tell you what is um, it's interesting uh, to hear the perspective of someone that uh, is going through a team build and a rebuild that seemingly is going um, more according to plan. Even the extension of Matt Ryan has not been this problematic saddling of a debt on them that has been uh that they haven't been able to overcome Arthur Smith with that experience at the NFL level seemingly is slowly trudging ahead and not that these th- that the team is great but there's a reason you brought in a new coach because the 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 talent wasn't there all the way this is something that doesn't obviously happen overnight but as they seemingly are getting more comfortable um and buying into Arthur Smith we are becoming more unstable when it comes to Matt Rule. So two teams that seem to be passing, two ships passing in the night type thing. The Carolina Panthers will host the Atlanta Falcons, and I do not think that they should be three-point favorites, but maybe that win in the past was enough uh, for Vegas uh, to to endorse that number. The number is 252-228-5098. Cody, what other news do we got to get to before we get to the cat calls? So before we get to the cat calls, um, we can talk about some moves that were made today. Um, and again, you and I kind of talked about this before the show. It's a whole bunch of nothing. But moves were made. The, Pactor, uh, the Panthers activated defensive end Daryl Johnson from IR. Signed running backs, Jaquise Patrick to the practice squad, and a cut wide receiver, Matt Cole, from the practice squad. So, I mean, the Panthers are moving. Um, We're trying to get ready for this last little push of football games. And, you know, really, when you look at it, man, uh, as much as it's crazy to say, the Panthers, they still have a good say-so on their own destiny. Now, we don't believe that they're going to be able to win any of these games necessarily. Um, and you know what? I take that back. Like, the Falcons are the Falcons. Like, I'll never, ever be able to come to admit that they're, like, a better team than us. And I don't think that they're a better team. 
I still think if you took the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons, lined up those rosters side by side, I would still probably like Carolina's a little bit more from top to bottom. But that's what we've been saying about every team we've played this year that we should have beaten. You said that we said that about the Giants. We said that in some ways I don't think we were right when it comes to the Eagles about that. We said that about the Washington football team. We said that about who the, the Miami Dolphins, right? As all of this at some point uh that argument is only just on paper, Cody, because what's happening on the field is not the case right here. And that's what I'm saying is that, yeah, is that, you know, the Panthers have fallen, have played worse than I expected them to, but I just don't have any evidence to believe that they uh, should be better than they are at this point either. Yeah. I don't have any evidence of it either. I just, um, you know, I mean, Hey, we fired Joe Brady. So our offense should be so much better, right? Play calling is going to be good. Everything now that Joe Brady is out the door, our offense is just gonna take gonna have off to just like run a rock. Cam, man, we just gotta have to run Cam. Oh, like if no, you want to, like, I mean, Cam needs to be our number one running back going forward. I he mean, yeah, be. and that's that's what, and they probably should have done it more in that game. If anything, that was probably the stain on the Miami game. Is that um, you you know you got Cam, and there's some questions about his familiarity with the with the scheme and some, you know, the language and stuff. So why don't you do what he does best? RP, you know, run pass option, uh, option, run cam, get him out in space, use his legs like New England did last year. That's what I would do. So I think if anything is that right now, you got to say that they have the advantage at quarterback. And I hate to say, I would never have said that in the past, but you know, right now cam's got to come back to us and prove that he's still got a lot significant amount in the tank they i would say that uh they have an advantage at offensive line but man matt ryan's getting hit like crazy mm-hmm. so yeah. um, i mean the panthers have to just play better on both sides of the ball on every side of the ball if they want to beat anybody right now the panthers can't beat themselves and that's the problem is it doesn't really matter who the other team is right now i got to believe that they're better coached than we are Right now, I got to believe that we are under, yeah, is we might have talent, but it ain't working right. And I got to believe that we are overrated. Actually, yeah. I wouldn't say overrated, but like, I'm not even ready to call the defense good, man. Like, well, Stephon no, Gilmore better shut down Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to have to. But like, going back to what we were saying earlier, you know, I think, uh, especially when you look at what the Panthers have done at home. We're one of the worst home teams in the NFL. I mean, we we're we're almost set to lose. You know, if you if the Panthers are playing at home, you know that there's a good chance that they'll lay an egg, especially when they have a division rival coming into town. But uh, and they know that makes it it doubly um, looking back to your title here with uh, Matt Rule being on the hot seat. If you lose another home game. After you just fired your OC and it's to a division rival, man, I'm telling you, it's that that seat might be bubbling. It's so hot. Um, I don't think he here, survives, here dude. I don't think he survives. I think it was Panther Pickle who said it is um, is that uh, I think he gets fired on that Black Monday or whatever they call it. 
uh, when they fire all the coaches at the very end of the season. The day after I don't. I just don't think he can uh, survive this. All right, let's go ahead and get to the cat calls. The number is 252-228-5098. That's 252-228-5098. We'd like to hear your thoughts on the decision to move on from Joe Brady, Matt Rule's future with Carolina, and this uh, game uh, that against the Falcons. And um, it's I just I should be more confident. I can't be confident in this team at this point. Like I just can't have any confidence in them. And I don't know if we can win. If we don't win this game, I don't know how you win any games going forward for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go ahead and m- maybe the Saints. I guess you could say. All right, let's get to the cat calls. What are your thoughts on cat calls? Yeah, you shouldn't do that to somebody. And how did that make you feel? Uh, very uncomfortable. So, how do you think catcalling makes the person feel? It feels good, like a three and a four. And who's that cat sitting in the back corner with his face buried in his nose? Who's that kid that can use one? Hey guys, so Joe Brady just got fired, and uh, I know a lot of people are probably going to say, you know, it was just Matt Rule trying to save his job, which is, of course, a factor, but I don't think it's the whole story. I think if it was a situation where David Tepper comes to him and says, oh, it's, it's you or Brady, then it probably happens earlier in the week so they can get the new coordinator in, they can start making a game plan. I'm thinking during the week, like, Matt Rule and Joe Brady got together, he's like, what can we do to make this better? How can we utilize Cam Newton this player that way? And, like, Either Matt Rule just didn't like the conversations he was having with Joe Brady in the bye week, or he or uh, he went back and watched tape, watched a bunch of tape, and felt like Joe Brady was a big reason why they weren't succeeding. And of course, the part of about saving his job is a factor too. But uh, I just think it's really interesting the timing that they waited till the very end of the bye week, and now you're headed into the Falcons. I feel like if this was a situation where they're just trying to save his job, it would have happened a lot earlier in the week. I just think that the timing of it in, you know, you do it after the end of the bye week, that just seems like a strange time to bring in a new coaching staff. But uh, personally, I think this relationship has been fractured ever since Teddy Bridgewater came in. I think Joe Brady was a big reason why Teddy Bridgewater came in. I think this is coming from a, this is a podcast y'all always say, by the fans, for the fans. So, you know, this is based off any, any like, fucking information or facts. It's I'll just got call. It just feels like he was, you know, he worked with him in New Orleans. He seemed to like him. And I think he was a big reason why they brought in Teddy Bridgewater and probably, you know, talked to Matt Rule and wanted him to bring in Teddy Bridgewater. And after what happened last year and how pissed that made David Tepper, I mean, I don't think the relationship has ever been the same since they brought in Teddy Bridgewater. I think it was because Joe Brady wanted to bring him in. Uh, that's all I got to say. I'm really, sh- I was, I'm absolutely shocked this happened. Love the podcast. Thanks. Good call, man. I agree yeah. with a lot of that. Is I, I've, I've thought that, uh, that the Teddy Bridgewater, the fingerprints, and Joe Brady w- were going to be there. But at the same time, it's kind of crazy to put that, invest that much confidence in someone you haven't worked with in Joe Brady. Uh, and let let him make that decision so quickly. So it's probably a, a majority of factors. One, Tepper wanting to move on uh, from Cam. Two, uh, the familiarity with uh, Joe Brady and Teddy Bridgewater, and probably just kind of being a safe pick uh, of what Teddy Bridgewater was for that first year. But I think that's a good point, is that after things fell apart uh, with 
Teddy Bridgewater and stuff is that that kind of might have been one of the major cracks between Matt Rule and Joe Brady that's occurring. Again, I believe this is a move for self-preservation. Um, some, everybody might, is, is risk getting fired here. Uh, so it's either somebody or all of us. But I do agree. Waiting this wait late in the week was interesting um, as well. They did give everybody the week off. Quality control week, um, Matt Rule called it, and he found out that the the poor quality was Joe Brady. 252-228-5098. Hey, this is Ken from Charleston. Um, I guess well, okay. news, I guess, uh, Joe Brady, to be honest with you, I wasn't expecting it. I thought him and Matt Rule would be a package deal if they got fired. You know, or actually, I, I was starting to get the idea that the Panthers might fire Matt Rule and have Joe Brady coach the rest of the year. But uh, I guess that's not happening, but, you know. It's weird timing when you bring in Cam Newton and then fire the offensive coordinator. That's, again, Cam coming into a fucking shit show. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, I'll be at the game in Atlanta. And uh, hopefully it goes well, but I don't know anymore. <laughs> I This team is so fucking bipolar, you know. Who fucking knows? I think, yeah. I think that's the point here is that I agree is that the fact that it is kind of surprising uh, that you fired Joe Brady. Uh, but I think that at the same time, that indicates just how fragile this whole situation is, how tenuous this situation is for Matt Rule. Desperate. Right? Is, yeah, this is desperate. And, and if uh, my biggest criticism of Matt Rule this season so far has been the reactionary nature that he has had when it comes to how he's handled situations. We've covered this at every turn. It started in the look is that in many ways it kind of can even start with Teddy Bridgewater, right? By getting rid of Joe, uh, by getting rid of Teddy Bridgewater is that, you know what? It's like, Oh, well, like kind of listen. Well, I listened to the C3 Panthers podcast and they don't like Teddy Bridgewater. He's holding us back. So let's go on and try something different. Then, uh, and then the very first week it happened with using Christian McCaffrey too much. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh well, Christian McCaffrey. You gotta. Are you gonna continue to protect him? And then the next week, they start cycling these guys. Then you didn't run the ball against the Giants or whoever it was, and it was like, well, we're gonna come out and run the ball. You know, what I mean, it's just everything. Where's the wind blowing? It is reeling. He is reeling, and I tell you, that reeks of a guy who doesn't have confidence in what he's doing, or a non-plan plan, like Greg said earlier. There is no plan. And right now the plan is to just do whatever you can to survive to the next day, to the next moment, right? I mean, even adding Cam is kind of reactionary to a certain degree. It would have kind of been easier for them to just go down with the Sam Darnold ship at that moment and say, you know what? It wasn't working anyway. He's hurt. We're going to have to regroup. It's not happening this season. But no, instead, they thought, oh, my God, we can do something to fix this, right? I mean, it has been – it's the opposite of Ron Rivera. We, If you didn't like what Ron Rivera was doing, I tell you, the devil you know sometimes is the better than the devil you don't know. And this almost, Matt Rule, that is almost identical to what I was saying when we were having the discussion of getting rid yep, of him. Yeah, you're right. All right, let's keep going through with the calls. 
What's going on, C3 Nation? It's your boy Jay Anderson hitting y'all up. What up, well, Jay? Jay uh, the Joe Joe Brady on um, fire, and to me, that's that's a scapegoat for Matt Rule. Yep. Um, me personally, I've been saying it from the beginning. I never like both hired. You know, both both of them being hired in the NFL. I just, I mean, Joe Brady was. I mean, is if he would have got an offensive coordinator job at a college, at a, at a college where he could be the full offensive coordinator, that's cool. But from jumping up from passing court, passing game coordinator to an OC in the NFL, I it just didn't sit well with me. I agree. Still, Matt Rule. I mean, this is a scapegoat for Matt Rule. Matt Rule. I mean, and, and for him to say that. It was a bold decision. That makes me sick right there. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that's like, oh, I'm the genius in here and I'm going to come up to the NFL and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be bold and stuff. That yeah. is stupid. You're supposed to be safe. You, <laughs> this your first head coaching, this your first NFL, this your first Agreed. head coaching job and you want to be bold. Too much new no, stuff. No, no, you got to no. go, man. That is <laughs> stupid. Ron Rivera, when he first came in, he got he got his boy from from San Diego, who was a Chudzinski, and made him an OC. Mm-hmm. I mean, that and that was, was our most dynamic Ron offense Chudzinski ever. Was yep. um, tight ends coach, and he became an OC. That was cool. Cody would love him, but to, yeah, I, I, did I mean, dude, really, that was stupid, man. I like Matt. Matt Rule got to go. And some people think, like, who fault is it that Matt Rule pick? Um, gonna be Tepper? Gonna be Tepper or um, Matt Rule's um pick? Nah, that was Matt Rule's pick because Matt Rule took the Carolina job because he had full control. Matt Rule had full control over a lot of things. That's why he took the Carolina job. He wasn't going to take the um Giants job because he wasn't going to have full control. David Gettleman was going to have um control of that um of that team. So that's why he took the Carolina job because they promised him full control. That's why David Tepper deserved a lot of the blame because he picked this dude to be a head coach. And now he's losing the locker room right now. Yep. I ain't care what nobody say. He's losing. He got to go after this year. He's got to go. I agree. I don't think – I think he's he going to be here for a third year. I'm hoping he doesn't. <clears throat> it's just stupid. He needs to go. You know, the the statement of Matt Rule saying that he had to make a bold choice, all that was, again, is smoke and mirrors. That's him basically covering up, saying, listen, it, was, uh, it wasn't my fault. I just went out there and tried to make something happen, and it didn't work out. Like, like he didn't go with a guy who he honestly believed in. Like, it basically takes the, in my opinion, that's another way for him to take ownership off of his own shoulders mm-hmm. uh, for picking a guy who didn't work out. Like it's irritating to me. Like that 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 statement alone is something that I just like. It's such bullcrap. It's just it's starting to become like a, a, a like a real problem. Like I don't know if other teams have this issue with their coach as often as we do, but it just feels like it's one line after another. You can't believe from this guy. I agree with that. Is um, you know, is our call our guest Will McFadden said that um, he brought up a good point that we kind of latch on to narratives that we want to be true. <laughs> Right. Is that and that not all the time, 
are they just uh, credible? I think right. that the Joe Brady genius uh, thing is a narrative that people latched on that they really formed just because they saw what LSU did. And he wasn't even an offensive coordinator. And they kept, oh, it's like red zone and passing and third down or whatever. But I think you want him to be some sort of crazy genius. And not that, and I didn't need him to be that. I needed him to be better than average. Turns out he wasn't. But the one thing that we latched on, here's another one that we latch on to is that, um, not we, but people like that Cam is about himself and not the organization. You know, those narratives, they just exist despite all this evidence. Other ones, Teddy Bridgewater's a good teammate, a great teammate. Maybe he is. I don't know him very well. And I've seen the people praying with him in Denver and, and they talked about how tough of a recovery he had. But I've also seen him throw players under the bus and not take accountability. Mm-hmm. Right. So, oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, I've seen him do things that I typically would not say happens from the greatest teammate. They've, I saw in Denver, they were talking about him not, you know, like when he went off to the sideline, it's like he stood away from the team while he was messing with his calf or something like that. Just didn't look involved. Anyway. Uh, Matt Rule being a class act. Is this a narrative that is based on just what people told us? You know, I mean, he came in and gave those real moving speeches in the beginning of how he's like a working class man who came up and like this, and it sounded all good on the surface. And I want to think that he's not a good dude, but like you guys said, Eve, I mean, that I want to believe that he is a good dude. I mean, I want to believe that all people are good people, but. We've seen a lot of pointing the finger, moving the blame, denying, you know, just like really, I, I don't even know what we've seen that says he is all these things. And right. that at least you could give Ron Rivera some credit for is Ron Rivera told you what he thought. He might not have told you much, what you wanted to hear. Right. It might have been, uh, oh, you might, you know, missed opportunities. You might get you got my you might have gotten su- sick of that. You might have gotten sick about the whole three or four games come down to three or four different plays. But you know what? So it turns out they're kind of tr- it's kind of true. You know, is that two or three plays go a different way and it changes so many dynamics of the game, mm-hmm. right? Um, we've seen that even on this team. But I don't feel I actually my biggest criticism of Ron Rivera was after the Super Bowl season he almost started to believe in himself a little bit too much. Like he stopped being the fall guy for everybody and just saying, like, I got to do better. And he would start pointing, calling players out. But I feel like Matt Rule has not, like, I mean, he just has gotten up there and given us no answers. He's not even like taking, like, even said that it's been that bad. I don't know. It's like, I don't know if I should believe that he is a good stand up dude at this point. His. His personality is the reason why he's failing in this league is because he's lost the team. He's a people pleaser and he's, he has no plan. Like the thing is when you're trying to lead a group of people, especially a group of men, not college kids, they can see through bullshit, you know, and not taking accountability for yourself and the things you've done and the things people see through that. And it, being a leader, you can't have people, people won't follow you if they can see through you like that and see your lies and see that you don't take accountability. He lost the team is what it is. He'll never get it back. I I don't think that anybody playing for him right now, no matter what you do with this team, will be motivated to play for him again. He hasn't even stuck up for PJ. Yeah. He's he's a boy. I remember earlier in the season when, uh, when he threw Brady Christensen under the bus. 
his first time out there at left tackle, and I was like, yeah, he didn't look too good. Dude, I'm going to ride this old line shit till I die. That's where Matt Rule lost me. I was willing to give and Matt Rule he was Rule an O-line coach. Thing. Yeah, like, it's, it's unacceptable. And when you look back at, you know, Temple and Baylor, those two football teams don't play in talented divisions. I mean, you say what you want about the Big 12. They're not known for their defense. And even still, Baylor's team in the Big 12 wasn't some big powerhouse offense. So, I mean, I kind of think he's a snake oil salesman. I think a lot of what Matt Rule implements is kind of gimmicks. Everything from the DBO sign, don't beat ourselves. It, it seemingly has had no effect on the amount of penalties that we are or aren't getting. So, I, I mean, again, it goes back to he has no real system. And, you know, one of the things that keeps on popping up is these sayings that rang true throughout the Panthers organization. And it's people being put in positions to fail. The quarterbacks are put in positions to fail. When the receivers don't have reliable quarterbacks, they're put in positions to fail. When you're on the offensive line and your roster has been mismanaged and you don't have the right guys on the line next to you, you're put in a position to fail. But, you know, the Panthers have always had this problem. We have always had this problem, and it's even worse now. Like, I'm sorry, like, we, it shouldn't be as bad as it is. You know, I mean, even with this group of people, right, is that they haven't even figured out how to make their plan even look somewhat presentable. Right. I mean, like it is it's just a shit show and it's not just the offensive line, Cody. Right. I mean, it is right. That is the centerpiece of everything. We will not be good until we have an offensive line, like build that wall. It's just the case. But it is now all falling apart. Like nothing has been good. We're uh, undisciplined as a team. We have penalties everywhere we go. We have like there's no we're reeling. So that's the thing is if it was just the offensive line, we could go back and be like, well, uh, you know, we got to, we just have to fix that. But right now it's the coaching staff. It's the quarterback. It's the offensive line. It's the defense. It's everything. With the yeah. offensive line being the biggest turd on the plate, probably. Uh, but also I'm not even, I don't even get upset anymore. I'm a Panthers fan. I'm used to this shit. I've been looking at this offensive line for the last decade, homie. Would you be upset if Deontay Brown finally, at some point this season or next season, gets into the offensive line and looks like a day one starter, like an all-pro kind of player, and is just putting people in the dirt? Like, one, would you be surprised? And two, like, would you be upset that it's like, come on, dude. We had this on our roster the whole time. No, you know what? I'd be happy. I'd be happy for this because it would just be one more piece of evidence that it's time to just make the change. I need what I don't need is that for somehow the Panthers to upset like the Bills or the Bucks and for us to get some foolhardy belief that this uh, can still work. So, like, if he comes out there and puts people in the dirt, I think it'll be a damn. Um, well, a referendum on Matt Rule even further. So let me ask you this. Are we already at that point in the season where we're disappointed 
if we win some of these games, like, are we now pretty much like, so we're picking nine right I, now. The last time I saw, we're, mm-hmm. we're picking number nine. If we manage to beat the Falcons, are you are like, are we upset? Are we no. depressed? Are we like, no, happy I think you're that happy that you save a little face. You save a little face. I don't think it really means anything, though, if we yeah, beat the Falcons. I think right now with the draft class we have coming up, I don't think that there's anybody that we're sitting there thinking, you know what? I really need that guy on my team. Like, I don't think we're going to be missing out on people in the top five because we we pick at nine. The other part to it is we got to keep in mind the the reality is the lower our draft pick, the more valuable the pick is that we give away for Sam Darnold. So... I think it's going to be a lot more painful if we're picking number two and then we're having to give away the 34th pick in the draft, you know? Right. So I, I don't, I don't hate the idea of winning more games because I don't see this draft as being the the answer for all of our woes. So it would be different if it was last year, last year would be an absolute difference, you know, as far as what we were dealing with, with quarterbacks and stuff. There's absolutely nothing to be happy about. um, i mean really it's like if we win you can't even be happy like unless unless it's just something crazy we have to roll off like or go undefeated at the end or something now all right i'll be happy but if we go out and beat atlanta guess what we're probably gonna get smoked the next week maybe you know what actually there is only one thing to be happy about and that is that the box of t-shirts just came in in the mail of the I stand with cam shirts. And we should be rooting for cam to have a decent last hurrah with the team. Because I don't want to watch him be continued to be caught up in what is this falling apart, but I'm with CK is here is like maybe last year, every win kind of felt like a negative in the end, like, you know, it's like, oh, man, we were so close to having a really good draft pick. This could change this franchise. But even losing out at this point doesn't even give us a good, great pick. Right. You know, like, I mean, you're not even going to if you lost out right at this point, you're not even going to move up past probably six. You know, like, I mean, it's like nothing. Nothing's really going to change. And then on top of that, you don't get those picks in the second and third round either. Uh, so it doesn't help your status there. It's like the only thing we need to be rooting for probably is to see some young players on this team show us that they have a future, like the Keith Taylor guy or whatever his name is, The um, some of these offensive linemen. I'd love to see that. Um, but other than that, and we need to be rooting for Cam not to just be a shell of himself as his final yeah. moments in Carolina. And to, to to add on to that point, Tony, you all better hope that Cam Newton gives us a performance that makes the Panthers want to re-sign him again next year, even if it's for a year or two. We're not talking about Cam as a long-term anything anymore. We're just talking about a stopgap. And who would you rather have as your stopgap quarterback in the meantime? Would you rather it be Cam Newton? Or would you rather us trout Sam Darnold back on the field and start another season with him and see if we can build around him? Because, dude, let me tell you, that seems like the seventh circle of hell. But I almost don't even know if I really want that, Cody. I only want that if it is turns out to be something that is kind of a f- face saver for Cam's image. I am terrified. 
I am terrified that arguably my favorite player, and I have to, I always put Julius Peppers up in there because he's the guy that got me into football, like Cam got you into football, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, where I cemented my love yeah, for yeah. Carolina. But Cam really has been my favorite player. You know, like, I mean, he really has. I mean, he's the face. He did, he's been the focal point of this podcast. I'm a Cam sexual. I got all those things. They call me Mama Cam. My greatest fear, and this was even when he left, was that my last memories of him were going to be, like, tarnished. All of his haters being correct. Right. I just then don't want him to be tarnished. I just, yeah. Yeah, I just want him to have one fighting. hurrah. And if he finishes his final game with 350 yards and three touchdowns for the Carolina Panthers, and then he's going to come out next year and we just look awful under Matt Rule and all of this, I would rather for it just to end on that positive note. Mm -hmm. You yeah, know, so I am but... just fair. I'm fearful, man. I'm fearful that his name will be tarnished. Because we do have a, it's like a, like seeing an actor or somebody go out there or a comedian like that's kind of like that. Cage. <laughs> yeah, but okay, but, but but Tony, let me let me tell you why I disagree with you though. The re so yes, I 100% agree with you on Cam's image. Like we want him to go out a little better than than he has in, in recent times with Carolina. But what I'm saying is is that if if Cam doesn't present to you at least the idea that if you put some more pieces on this football team, that he can actually be a decent bridge quarterback in the meantime, then you're talking about either of two things now, or maybe three things. Either it means you're, you're going to run with Sam Darnold going into next year, like I already mentioned, or you're having to go another free agent route, which means if it's for Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, you're going to have to trade picks to get that player to come here because mm -hmm. they're not free agents then if you're going to go and pick someone up off the market they're not going to be a big time marketing name anyway so we're not going to be believing in them to be our answer at quarterback next season and then to top it all off if you say okay we'll go out and draft Kenny Pickett in the draft or Matt Corral in the draft well then that's another year when you're dude, get Minshew off my screen, bro. White cam, bro. No, no, the fuck he isn't, bro. Then that's another year if you draft a quarterback where you have a terrible offensive line around him, and you didn't even have the picks to invest on the offensive line to protect your rookie quarterback. Like everyone's doing this shit now, where they're comparing Matt Jones because he's on the Patriots to all the other rookie quarterbacks in the NFL. Dude, I would still take almost every single one of those rookies over Mac Jones right now if I still had the ability to do so. But they're on bad football teams, so they don't look good. If the Panthers drafted a quarterback, they also would not look good. So Cam Newton playing well at least presents to us something of a glimmer of hope for a short-term option. Why do you hate Gardner Minshew? What 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 did Gardner Minshew ever do to you, dude? No, as you say that he's the white Cam Newton, and because of his style, because of his style, not his no, play, but but like is, is the way his dread, like he's eccentric. He's got like crazy. He always he's he's doing 
uh, fashion stuff, like making statements all the time. Nah. He's got this big dick swinging attitude. I love it. That's why I call him White Cam is because, man, that picture, this was him. The, you've seen the picture when he was in college, right? Yeah, but listen, I, I, it's okay to have a big big swinging dick energy when you're dressing and, and looking nice. But I want you to be that on the field, man. And well, Gardner Mitchell, and look, he went out there. Play. Look, he stepped in there. Look, did you see his stat line? Philadelphia Eagles game. Yeah, but you uh, realize that, that, to be but fair. you realize the Jaguars went one and fifteen with him as the starting quarterback. You realize that they have gone two. They have only won one game with Trevor Lawrence, your favorite person in the whole world. So let's not act like yeah, they still oh. won more games, and every game he makes a have they throw. have the Jaguars won two games? Yeah, they beat the Buffalo Bills and they beat uh, the the Houston Texans. I think no, they lost to the Texans, didn't and they? Who who they beat? They beat uh, this is the Falcons. I, I, I know they beat. No, they lost to the Falcons. I mean, I know they've won two. I the Jaguars are one. They're two and ten. All right, so let's not act like. Look, first of all, Gardner Minshew's like an undrafted is. free agent. He's an undrafted free agent, homie. Right, like uh, twenty for twenty-five, two hundred forty-two yards and two touchdowns uh, against the the Jets. Hey, hey, uh, that's better than Sam Darnold did. Trevor beat the Jets. Hating on damn Gardner Minshew, man. Gardner Minshew is nowhere. I, I, I hate that you put him in the same conversation as Cam, and he's nowhere near as good as Trevor Lawrence. How dare you? But I mean, that's but you're, that's you're, you're misconstruing my words, dude. But at the same point, like you also just said that he went one in fifteen. Well, Trevor Lawrence is doing two. I mean, if if we're using that same same you know thought process, then we should also consider. Trevor Lawrence, a, a, a bad quarterback, too, then, right? I mean, you're telling they, me he's the I'm greatest not, prospect not, that yeah. you've ever scouted, and then they're still shitty. That tells you how bad it was, right? And I'm not saying that Gardner Minshew is the answer or anything, but, hey, if you got to go and get a cheap option next year, like, how about, I'd rather roll with Gardner Minshew than I would with Sam Darnold. I'll tell you what, well, he, why, has, why, uh, but, he has more confidence. But why, but why, why Gardner Minshew over Cam? Because right now, uh, what you know what is I cannot endorse signing Cam after the game with the Miami. I have to see more. So, yeah, like, I mean, look, if Cam comes out there and shows us that he's still got something in the next five games, but I don't want us to go and do that and then it just be another, oh, like, all we talk about is this again. Like, I mean, is if if that is the right move, then it's the right move. But you can't say it's the right move off of just what we've seen so far. But no, that's why I'm saying it's so important that Cam plays. You know, even if we don't win, you want to see some signs of life from 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 Cam because I'm telling you, man, that the Panther, the life of a Panthers fan, is about to get exponentially more depressing if we are not able to fix the QB position and the O line position at least somewhat in the off season, and it's it will. looking like we might not have the choice. It will get more depressing, but it could get optimistic if we go out and make a better hire at head coach. I tell you this is that it won't be instant, but having somebody that I have a little bit of faith in 
will be the only right now. That's like about the only thing that's going to be able to make us feel better because the roster turnover, you're not going to be, guys not going to be able to come here and piece it together with this offensive line and this. Now maybe they go out and buy some offensive linemen in the off season. Maybe that's what you do. And maybe you can get back a little bit quicker to, you know, maybe not back, but five, this kind of look, five games is not disappointing. We've won five games. Yeah, this season. That's not a disappointing number for me. In fact, I didn't think it was going to be much better than 500. You know, I mean, I really thought this is like a seven win team or a nine win team under bad. And, you know, I just was assuming we would take a step forward. Right. But the problem is, is that this team looks worse than they did last year with five wins. So we've already met the win total of all of last season. And there's still what? five more games to go four more games to go yeah. something like that um no i mean there's 17 there's 18 games now 17 games and we have played we're what five and six five and seven so that is 12 so five more games and we have five more games and i don't think to, to add on and i think if we get the seven wins this season i still don't think that this team this uh, i feel better about this team than i did last year yeah like, it's that bad. So that's where I say, oh, gosh. All right. Uh, I like Gardner Minshew. He's an option at least. Don't hate him. Hey, guys. It's Joey. And I want to know you guys' thoughts on this. At, you know, when you're finished with my call. So kind of listen. Was firing Marty Herney a mistake? And I can't believe I'm saying that. No. You know. I'd just like to find somebody who I believe is holding the team back in a given year and making jokes about them. Like last year was Marty Herney and Teddy. This year it's Joe Brady and Matt Rule. And, well, Sam Darnold so bad it's not even worth making jokes about. But the only time Matt Rule ever appeared to possibly work in the NFL, guess who the GM was? I'm not going to say who it was, because I want you to say it. The gentleman? But, you know, it's just some food for thought. And then my thoughts on firing Joe Brady, number one, I mean, I'm glad we did it. I've been calling it. I've been calling for it as loud as I possibly can at the past four games. We're getting our asses beat by the Patriots. Um when we lost by five points with Cam playing really well, our offense actually playing really well, and Joe Brady's just not going for it. I mean, well, I guess that's Matt Rule's call or whatever, but, you know, Matt Rule just gets guys that does whatever the hell he wants them to do, which, you know, why even hire him? But that's beside the point. But I've been saying fire Joe Brady, so I'm glad we finally did it. But my response to that is, okay, Matt Rule, you showed you got the big balls. Well, your ass is next. If he doesn't work out by this time next year, he's going to be gone. He's going to be. I don't think he makes it. That's what I think. Anyway, guys. Wow, wow, wow. Here, yes or no. Um. Matt Rule coach is the coach of the Carolina Panthers in 2022. No. It's a no for me. Yeah, I'll say no. 
wow. which is okay. crazy because I know. we said if we went two and fifteen, we were think we were confident he was still the coach. <laughs> like we were all so confident. I could and- not envision a scenario where it would be so. Um, to me, it would be a it would be more surprising that he is the coach. Yeah. Than if he wasn't, I could you could have never have pitched that to me six months ago. Well, and it, we we didn't take any steps forward. And if anything, this team has regressed. So there is no, you know, we were all hoping to take uh, another step forward considering how many games we lost by three points or less or one score. And that was the difference in last season being a good season. So you look at that and say, okay, there's something to build on. We're building towards something. You could easily see how, you know, a few players here and there and the momentum all of a sudden swings back in your direction. But now this year, to have the amount of blowouts that we've had, to be embarrassed on offense, there, there it's are games. The program. It's the state of the program, Cody, that's even worse than that. When we have been thoroughly embarrassed on offense, thoroughly embarrassed on defense, thoroughly embarrassed on special teams, when your team is actively getting worse and then you're only in your second year and you're firing coordinators in the middle of the season, like that doesn't signal anything to ownership that you have any idea what you're doing. And once again, before we get too far off it, we need to point some of this ire, I think, at David Tepper for botching this whole thing and all the decisions that he's made in this process. Well, because we've been sold this idea that he is a builder. That Matt and here's the problem, Cody, it's not even the fact that we've gotten our asses whooped. Again, I don't even think the win total is the problem here. Like, I don't think that's the... Di- I think the problem is, is that when you call him a snake oil salesman earlier, it's hard to refute that because the central tenet that we were sold is that this guy is process-oriented, a builder, and he's going to build this house in the right way. It might take you a little bit longer for the construction to happen than you wanted it to happen, but it's going to be a quality craftsmanship type construction. And when we look at that, the, his main asset is this program building. And right now the program is in worse shape than when he got here. Uh, and it's in worse shape than it was after last year. It's not even that we're getting thumped. It's like now the future, the question about the future is like with the draft picks with Sam Darnold, all of that's still up in the air. The question marks about the offensive line still up in the air. Joe Brady, all of these guys, right? Is that like if this was, if he was building it the right way, he wouldn't have to fire Joe Brady. It just would have, they would have worked things next year out and they would have worked out some of these kinks. They would have said Sam Darnold wasn't the answer. Man, we got kind of shat. We, we underestimated the importance of the line. We thought we were going to get by. But right now, they're questioning that. They're questioning the craftsmanship of Matt Rule. So I don't want to hear this crap about he built these college programs. It's not the same. It's not yeah. the same. And those skills might help you. But right now, the things that we were sold as his strongest attributes have not turned out to be strengths. Yeah. Also, can I change my answer real quick? You asked if we thought Matt Rule was going to be the head coach to start the season next year. I want to change my answer. Yes, he will be. Because if we go on what David Tepper has done in his past, 
He's always a day late, dollar short, dude. So, yeah, we are going to fire Matt Rule, but it's going to be far too late, and it's going to be like four or five five games in the next season. David Tepper has been too quick. David David Tepper has been too quick to pull the trigger far too often. Outside of Marty Herney, tell me when he's been too quick to fire somebody or been too late to fire somebody. Uh, Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera was a season and a half into his ownership. Uh, one and a half seasons removed from a playoff appearance. No, it was no, 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 no. It was, it was still, it was still way too late. He should have done that at the end of that 2018 season. That was his what, first what, what season as a, as a, as a, as an owner, and that was one season after Cam Newton was hurt that entire year. And on top of that, that was in the midst of an entire re, like not a rebuild, but we were in the midst of of complete like just overhaul with a lot of different like for instance we literally switched ownership like we were doing a lot of different movement like it wasn't like the, one year isn't enough to fire a coach after you've taken ownership like he literally waited till about halfway through his second year and he finally pulled the trigger some people would say he was a little too hasty on that when you look at what he's done with the washington football team oh i disagree completely he, uh, you, when you look at 2018 and how that season was mismanaged from us starting so hot and then the decision to keep Cam in after he was clearly hurt, clearly deteriorating, clearly getting worse. I mean, look, man, there was no reason for Ron Rivera to be there. Ron Rivera or Marty Herney to be there for the start of the next season. I'll give then, you Marty Herney. I'll give you Marty Herney 100%. Yeah, but like, to me, it's the same thing. And then when you look at our, at our coach and our GM, he should have hired the GM before he hired the new head coach. Like he does everything ass backwards, and to me, he waits too long to too long to do things. So I could very easily uh, foresee David Tepper giving him the benefit of the doubt for one more year, and then if it goes bad at the start of next season, yeah, he'll be another Ron Rivera, and he'll be fired in the middle of the season. All right, next call. Hey guys, it's Joey again, and. Uh... I want to say that, yes, I agree with you. I mean, these games that are ending so, like, early, like, now you think about being at a game, right? And being on TV, it being one thing, because, you know, you're focused on actually what's happening at the game or whatever. So you're at the game, even at the games, like, sitting in the stands, the past, Two out of the past three games that I've been to, okay, were games that by the end of the first half, really, you start to not think about the game. I mean, the Patriots the Patriots game, I mean, that was torture because, like, I was sitting there, why, why are we losing to the Patriots, the fucking cheaters? Anyway, right, yeah, then the Dolphins game, oh, my God. The Dolphins game, I was just chatting with these girls. that They were Panthers fans, but they lived in Miami, and they were really Bills fans, so they came to just cheer on the Panthers because they wanted to go to a game. And what a shit game that was. And we were just talking about, like, nothing and everything all at the same time. I would, like, when Matt Rule called his first stupid-ass timeout, 
which was probably like five minutes to go in the half because Matt Rule's an idiot like that. That it's bad, dude. It is so bad the way we're losing. The constant blowout. Oh my god, I can't stand it, and I can't even see the shit. Anyway, guys. Wow! 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 All right, let's keep pounding through these calls. Yo, what's good, C three? It's JD fifty four. What up, man? Yo, I'm calling in uh, to to voice my my uh, two cents. Um, I don't disagree with anything that you guys have been saying as far as um how the team looks or or how rule is operating. But uh, I'm hoping um that because I, I personally don't have any feelings one way or the other because if the team plays well over the next five games, then more than likely Rule will be back. And if we should win three, four, five games, then that's I, in the very sense that if we lose the next five games and we look bad, that's an indictment on the coach. If we win the next five games, that that is credit to the coach. And him firing Brady, I said it before, if Rule wanted to keep his job, Somebody was gonna have to go. Somebody was gonna have to fall. And we knew it wasn't gonna be Phil and Snow. Yeah, it wasn't gonna be Snow for that. If you're looking at it from a performance matter, Snow has been the better of the two o the OC and DC. Yeah, Snow has been better. My hope is that Nixon can come in and do the things that Brady wasn't doing, like adjusting to better help the offense and, and put points on the board. Um, is is like Brady deserves the, the 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 situation he's in. Like I'm 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 putting that on him. Um, and then I also wanted to ask you guys on on ask ask for you guys' opinion on if Christensen starts at left tackle and if Deontay Brown is able to get out there on the field, do we shift a, a bit more blame to Brady not wanting them to start, or like how how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting question. Um, I don't know if we can shift blame to Brady on that because uh, Rule has been so vocal in saying that they're, like, trying to come along. But, you know, like, he's working hard, but he's not ready. I mean, Rule, Rule has gone to bat over that. So I don't know if you could say, like, oh, I was sitting here thinking it was a good idea, but Brady wasn't careful with it. I am more interested in this Jeff Nixon discussion. Not more interested. Let me not put it that way. But um, what if things do look better? Is he auditioning for the full-time role as OC? Who He was the Baylor offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, or um, even if somehow Matt Rule survives this, it would have to do with us looking a lot better. Uh, even if we looked a lot better with by addition, by subtraction, with uh, Joe Brady – can this guy Jeff Nixon do enough or is is rule going to have to go outside and get somebody with some real experience uh, at the NFL level to prove that he's ready to kind of take the next step in admitting that he might not have approached this right. Yeah, Tough questions. Then, it's like kind of wait and see almost. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of wait and see. And then again, knowing that he was the offensive coordinator at Baylor yeah, I mean, look, you don't think that uh, Matt Rule wants an opportunity to promote from within and, and have his guy be the guy, like, 
yeah, I, I think he 100% has an opportunity to um, legitimately audition for this job going forward. And by the way, especially like, again, if we're just talking what we would like to see happen, if the Panthers are able to win some games and we actually look good with him as the offensive coordinator and we end up wondering, like, damn, should this move have have been made earlier in the season? Then, yeah, I think it's an opportunity for him to, you know, potentially for Matt Rule to have his guy at OC and his guy at DC and wear the full-fledged Matt Rule show like he's always envisioned. It's just that inspires no confidence in any of us right now. I don't have any confidence in Rule, a fool, Matt Fool, at this moment. I don't believe that I should be – that's me being a negative Nelly. I don't believe that that's just me saying, look, I ain't got any reason to have any. Uh, but what has been really surprising to me about this is that they asked um, about, like, Jeff Nixon's relationship with Cam. Um, and basically, uh, he said he wanted to keep Pat Meyer in the quarterback's room. Right, because he's I mean, first, he's probably got the most experience at the NFL level, to be honest. He's coached Matt Stafford and Deshaun Watson. But what it sounds like at every turn, it sounds like this is a very fragmented like um way of coaching. It seems like it just doesn't I would think that I just wanted to hear more about like Brady Cam and Pat Meyer living together for the last two weeks. Right. Trying to learn the game, the playbook, trying to, you know, develop this relationship. And, you know, it seems like it's just like, hey, you guys go study. You go over there. Pat Meyer, you coach Cam. Uh, Jeff Nixon, you go sit over there and be the offensive coordinator. It just doesn't seem like how I would envision like a collaborative coaching experience to be. And so when he said that, he was like, well, you know, Jeff Nixon doesn't really have much interaction with Cam. Like, well, guy, he's the offensive coordinator. Like, it's like they like, why isn't uh, why it almost sounds like Joe Brady just went and did his homework and came in and just gave a presentation about the offense they were going to run that week. And then he's like, well, see you tomorrow. Um, so I don't like this is I got to it's going to take a lot to change my mind. Hey, by um, the way, you want to see a picture? Of uh, Jeff Nixon. Yeah, I love this picture. I love this picture. Yeah. Uh, This was, um, uh, so this is interim offensive coordinator Jeff Nixon and Matt Rule, teenage best friends, high school teammates. My senior year, I think I was at his home every day, according to Nixon. Uh, Matt Rule says he's a guy who will be a head coach at some point. If given the opportunity, and look at well, these might be, uh, might be a head coach by the end of this season, <laughs> dude. Look at this. Look at these dapper dans, man. Uh, dude, look. I mean, again, I don't want to like unnecessarily shit on this guy. I wish him the best. I, I hope that he's able to jumpstart this offense in a meaningful way. But again, Tony, it's like we're we're beating a dead horse here, like. Matt Rule has done nothing to inspire any of us to believe that he actually has a plan going forward, that he's going to be able to right the ship and fix things. So right now, all of us, how about this? We're all in a position to be pleasantly surprised 
because we're not expecting anything from this football. Right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, I, I mean, I'm going to give Matt Rule five game. Uh, he's, you know, Jeff Nixon isn't auditioning. All of these dudes are auditioning for me, yeah. and they're going to have to do a lot to change my mind. Players are say, auditioning too. Can we talk about how this is like textbook? nepotism like i'm just saying like, yeah that's what we're saying like, like that's i mean all over. it's just like it's to a t how like if you look at his entire career or is especially as the nfl head coach of the panthers i like it is just almost disgusting like how little opportunity he gives anybody who doesn't know like it's just a problem it's almost more uh um, concerning to me about the roster yeah you know, is I, I saw somebody put up a graphic. I wish I would have saved it. And this was on Twitter. It was maybe a week or two ago. And it did every team in the league. And it showed like uh like their concentration of what their the like the most players from their on their roster from what schools. And like Carolina had more players from Baylor and Temple than any other team have from any other team. <laughs> like you know what I mean like if it was Alabama I'd say one thing like I mean but it's just such a high percentage on the roster I think is just as problematic and it shows that um I don't know what it shows that it's not working that's what it shows all right next call hey guys it's Joey, Joey again. again for the third time and I just want to talk about something you said that it got me going not about the fans I'm not about to go there again but it got me going about the losing at home. What the fucking fuck, dude? <laughs> I have never, ever been, like, I don't ever remember a season. Now, I'm a newcomer. I'm not a bandwagon fan. I'm a newcomer because I came in thanks to Cam. Um. But I stayed here through all this bullshit, and I'm going to keep staying until I die, and I'll probably be a Panthers fan in my grave. But, God, that losing at home sucks. It's like you go there, and, like, you meet all these people that, like, you see them every season because, I mean, if they're real fans, they're not selling their PSOs. So, like, you see them every season, like, like, you see them, like, the next year. Oh, it's good to see you again. How's it been going? Like, give them a big hug. Like, the usher that works, like, kind of near my section, I always give her a big hug whenever, like, when I see her, especially the first time. It's like, you make friends. And then, like, and then not only for you after you lose, but, like, all your friends you just made, like, they're feeling it too, and some of them are driving like more than an hour to come to these games. Some of them are, I mean, yeah, dude. If I go to a game, it takes me yeah, four and a half hours just to get to city. I don't mind losing a one hard driving. I mean, we're all gonna lose the Chiefs, except maybe this is a kind of suck, bad example, but you know what I'm saying, anyway, guys. Wow, wow, wow. Hey, look, is that uh, there are only a couple of teams. Uh, look, we don't have the history to survive um, losing over long stretches, right? I mean, we just don't. It's like the Panthers are a newer team. That means they got newer fans. People are converts. People are newcomers. 
But if you weren't going to games when you're with your great grandpa and your dad went to games with them. So we have to establish our culture is tenuous. Right. Uh, I, I pull for a football team at, at the college level that's had a lot of success for the size of our school. But we just made uh, we had our first winning season in six years. We just got a um, we just made a bowl game. Right. But it was for a place that packed out and packed out and packed out. You string together five losing seasons where you're not competitive and people just don't come. So really, I mean, like is until the Panthers win um, more consistently, it's going to be difficult to create a fan experience that is impressive. We just don't have the Browns mentality. We're not the lovable losers, right? The Browns are used to, they get that they've, they almost embrace losing, right? Like look at the lions. I mean, good God, imagine being a lions podcast, how tough that would be. We I mean, need the I'm Panthers to, be to the Vikings right now. Yeah, but yeah. I, I just whenever you say something like that, or whenever I hear anyone else say something like that, even myself, I just get the feeling like there are people that are like, dude, imagine doing a Panthers podcast. You but know, we've had we've made same, two Super Bowl appearances in twenty years. We've made two Super Bowl appearances in twenty years. We've won. I mean, obviously, you've won two NFC championships. Do that. We've had an NFC championship appearance. The real problem: we had three uh, NFC South, so we went to the playoffs three years in a row. We didn't have winning seasons. We need to have some winning seasons in a row, right? Is that? But right now, we're doing that. You know, you guys were upset about not having back-to-back winning seasons. Well, we haven't won since 28. What? The last winning season we had was 2017? Yeah, 2017 was the last playoff. I mean, and right now, it looks like uh, you could be two years out of having another winning season. You know? Uh, So that is... The the fan... The culture will not turn until you start winning. Like that's the yeah. only way to get that place rocking with Panther fans is to put together a better damn product. But I will say it doesn't take much. I mean, even remember going from 2012, Tony, to 2013. Even in 2013, there were some fans in the stands now, especially during that Monday night football game, the blackout with the Patriots came to town. Like, you know, and I think that's what should give us hope. Is but we that won we, that we, year. Yeah, but that yeah, that's that's the point though. So that's what gives you hope is that if we are able to figure this shit out and, and, and stop living in this perpetual, you know, seven and eight, seven and nine purgatory that we've been living in, the Panthers can be one of the premier franchises in the NFL. We just have to get things right. And it starts with the most important parts of your football team. We know Scott Fitterer is not getting fired, okay? So well, we actually don't know that, but we don't think so. Like yeah, right I mean, now, I wouldn't be surprised if we just replaced everybody. But you know, I expect him to be there, next right? Year. But I, I think he's going to give Fitterer the benefit of the doubt to continue to build the team. But you look at coaching, you look at quarterback, and you look at offensive line. And if we're able to make some good decisions at those positions. Going forward sometime soon, yeah, man, you you never know how fast this thing could turn around. And listen, I'm just telling you what I see in the chat. 
a lot of names are still mentioned in Deshaun Watson, thinking that David Tepper would, would still go out there and get him if he's able to clear some of these charges. You know, at this point, it wouldn't even surprise me. That way, you know, I don't even know if I can be surprised. The only thing I'll be surprised is if, if the Panthers get it together at this moment. Um, <laughs> I am interested in uh, what Scott Fitter's end of year press conference will look like. I'm very interested. I can't wait till we get to that moment. I can't wait um, because I don't think that Matt Rule will be the coach next year. And I'd be interested to see if they go get someone like Doug Peterson or. Um, I want, I like, uh, I know you guys, everybody likes the idea of Eric Bieniemy, but I tell you this is no matter what is Eric Reed is the real mastermind there. Uh, not Eric Reed, uh, uh, Andy Reed, Andy Reed is the real master. He's off. He's always been the offensive genius, dude. So, you know what I'm saying? And they've had a lot of offensive talent. He put together some crazy ass, awesome offenses in Philly back in the day. This guy's got a long history, so I'm not even sold on the Bianami just yet. I hope it, if it works, if you get him, I hope it is. I hope it's great. I like uh, Greg Roman. I mean, there's some other See, names. I don't, I don't like Greg Roman because all of Greg Roman's success has been with highly dynamic dual threat quarterbacks. And I think you would essentially be dependent upon getting one of those for a Greg Roman. Well, you offense. wanted a bridge quarterback with Cam Newton. That might be the guy. Yeah, but are we going to uh, – it's like, yeah, if you could turn back the clock to 2011, sure. But we're not going to be able Cam to can still that. run, dude. He can still run. He's fine. Yeah, the but – that's, that's the hard part. But that's not a long-term recipe for success. I don't think it's a long-term recipe, but here is – I'll be interested to see what what uh, fitter or what who he eyeballs. Another thing I want to go back to, and we're not going to really talk about just remember this, is that when they announced Scott Fitter getting a job, um, a little surprised. We thought the guy from San Francisco, who was that candidate? Because he had a connection to Matt Rule somehow. You mean the uh, the coach of the Jets now, Robert Sullivan. No, no, to BGM. I thought that we were going to get there was a candidate oh, who's yeah. an assistant GM for the San Francisco 49ers. and there was. I wonder if the fitter hire was a play off of rule, like a divide and conquer by David Tepper. Cause it just didn't seem like Matt rule was ex- ex- like super excited about Fitterer when he came in. I mean, he didn't say anything mean, but it wasn't like he was the first person to say, I'm so excited to work with him. And you know I mean? It just seemed very, you uh, mean like Tepper purposefully brought in someone that, that rule didn't had endorse of a, so that that way there would be kind of like a split that they wouldn't be too much on the same page. I don't understand. I don't know if Fitterer was Rule's favorite candidate. It didn't seem like that. So I think yeah. again, it's Tepper. And and what what CK said, he's a puppet. What, didn't you say that? Uh, who somebody said that um, earlier? Tepper that is rules the puppet a puppet. Rule is the puppet master. Or yeah, is the puppet. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, uh, shout out to the champs 15. Adam Peters is the guy that you were thinking of. Yes, Adam man. Peters, and they had some sort of relationship. So I still I'll be interested to see how that tone goes with Fitterer if they decide to move on from rule or stay with rule, right? We'll probably get some gather some cool things from that press conference at the end of the year. All right, next call. Three more. What's up, bro? Are we stuck on trying to make playoffs this season? I don't know. Are we trying to impress? 
I just want to win mm-hmm. one game. I believe we should lose out the rest of this season. We're going to lose a lot of guys. Feelings um, towards staying with the team next year. Honestly, who are we can? I mean, we're not even fit for the playoffs. I mean, we just started. We look good, but week four, with a lot of guys. Hope. Fool's goal, man. Uh, the coaching as well. I mean, giving up Joe Brady was long overdue, uh, overhyped. He wasn't fit to be a head coach. Uh, the players stopped buying into Matt Rule because week four, he blamed the defense, and it wasn't even the defense fault why we lost that game. We had the referees. Uh, along with the rest boys. But um, I'm not happy. Uh, Joe Brady's gone. He, he should have been gone. It won't help the offense issues. We have too many holes. Even if we lose out the rest of this season, we can look forward to the draft. We don't have a lot of picks as a Scott, which I don't agree or like that he did that because the players that we got on defense, we're not – Stopping anyone, we're not scaring anyone. Um, yeah. Just look forward to next year. That's what I'm waiting on. Keep... God, dude, could that color sound any, any more depressed? But that's how we all feel right now, man. Here's the problem with that, though, caller. If you're talking about, you know, losing every game, obviously you're talking about draft picks. If we did that, right? Say we're picking somewhere in the top 10. After that, we wouldn't be picking again until the 90s because we don't have a second or third round pick. So even tanking this year doesn't even have the same kind of, it doesn't have the the, the same kind of, you know, logic behind it. Like, oh, well, we would have really good picks in the first, second, third round to be able to build the team. It's like, no, we don't even have that, man. So but moving it, up, Cody, would help us to potentially um, get a potential trade back that yields something better. So if we're picking at six, the trade back to 20 could would yield more than if we were picking 13 and the trade back to 20. You know, yeah. so like, that's the only thing is right now is you're you're almost talking about the Panthers not even using that first round pick and trying to get out of it and trying to find someone uh, that they think can a trade partner. But now we don't know who that is. And when you don't have a quarterback central like a draft like last year, the trade back isn't as isn't as valuable. Yeah. yeah, like, I mean, you just don't see teams moving to three to get a guy if they don't really even believe in them. I mean, barely. because people aren't moving, like, moving up into a top five pick is going to be for a franchise-changing player, right? right? And odds are, let's be real about it, the only position that is considered a franchise-changing position is the quarterback. And so, I, yeah, this this is definitely not the draft for a trade back to get that value, unfortunately. We missed the boat. Yeah, we missed the boat. All right. Uh, any more comments on that call before we move in, Cody? No. Okay. AC3 is me again, and I just oh. want to say one thing. What's Anybody up, on the live right now, vote for me 
for um, vote for me for head coach of the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> you know, vote for me. You got my you know, vote. So I can become the head coach and get us another Super Bowl. I, I hear it, brother. I mean, I think that you would. I oh, like you know it. Wait. Uh, I. Wait, did I miss his call earlier? Hold on. I believe in Pete. I did miss his earlier call. So here, I'm going to play that because this is my favorite caller. Or one What's of them. What's up, C3? Um, my name is Noah. What's up, and Noah? I think that um, barring Joe Brady, um, I don't know how to feel. I mean, it's mixed for me. Um. I don't know what to say now. I think Matt Wolf's gonna be next. Um, I think he probably got to the end of the season. And he's probably going to a college team. And hopefully I think um we're not gonna win this game. I think Atlanta's gonna come back for blood from like the first game. Yeah. Like we had with them. When we like when Matt Rule like broke his finger or somebody stuck on his finger or something like that. I think they're coming back for blood and if we do win, it's gonna be a miracle from heaven. But I mean, hey, this kid. What's God awesome. say? Noah, um, love it. Keep pounding. Keep great pounding. call, uh, as always. Great call, and uh, I think you're right. Is here is that first of all, we tend to win, and I know that Cody's not superstitious. <clears throat> I don't know if it's superstition or just a track record for me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Is At what point we, do we have to win in those all blacks for me to be wrong? Um, but we tend to win in Atlanta and they tend to win in Carolina. It, I don't know why uh, we haven't been good at home this year. They seem to be getting better from week to week or a little bit. Not They're not floundering as much. We've gotten worse since then. Right. We've gotten like crazy is really it's going to take Cam Newton on offense having a great game. Um, and we got to get ahead because we were after Matt Ryan and we pressured them and we dealt. But they've seen us before now, too. So they're going to be a little bit more prepared. Um, I, I just don't have a lot of faith that Carolina is going to win the game. I'm not saying that they can't win the game, but it would be you're just. At some point, you just want something to happen if you keep saying it. Yeah, and by the way, Noah, I don't know if you're still watching uh, this late into the night. Probably not. Probably in bed. But the chat room has endorsed you, my man. Noah for head coach everywhere. Please hire Noah. Dude, everyone's on your team, brother. You've got my endorsement, man. Noah for head coach, bro. Um, Yeah, he has to know more than than, 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 uh, that rule. Then we'll be able to just like say build that ship, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah um here. It. This is we'll put Cody Lashney at GM. We'll put Noah at head coach. We'll yeah. put CK as the new the replacement for Mick Mixon. Um and, <laughs> perfect. And Tony will replace Darren Gant as the old guy. Um, that's what he calls yeah. himself on the website now, the old guy. All right. Uh last call of the night. Hey guys, the name is Daniel. Been listening to you guys for a while now. Just, Thanks for the support, uh, man. Just had a call for my first time. What's up, Daniel? This mess going on with the organization right now. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I just feel like you know, like Matt Rule, he is you know maybe a program builder, but 
it's it's a whole different ball game when you're doing a, a college build up and an NFL, you know, and I just feel like he didn't realize what he was getting himself into and it just ended up being too much for him. The stage may be a little too big, you know, and honestly, as far as uh our OC goes, you know, it was it was time for him to go, you know, it's just it, it was too simple for defenses to figure us out and, and it was just a, a hectic mess and you know it was it was just time for him to go uh, do I believe that it was a, a scapegoat kind of thing yeah probably you know but it's just one of those things in the NFL you know you you don't produce you lose your job and I just feel like if this continues Matt Rule is next uh, it's just the way that I feel. I think you're right. Probably I think a lot you're of right. Feel like I do right now, but five games left, guys. We're just the only thing we got left to do is wait and see what happens. Y'all have a good one. Keep up, good job, guys. Great, great call. Appreciate I, you, man. I don't think. Uh, I think that what we've learned about college coaches coming to the NFL is that it might not be the football part that's the challenge for them. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I believe that Nick Saban knows a lot about defense, right? I think that he is like, I don't think that these guys don't know enough about the game of football. I think it's the other skills in managing the season, managing uh, the travel, maybe not the travel, you know, but you could just pick, this list of the practice squad, free agency, uh, roster management, putting together a coaching staff, that some of those at the collegiate level is first about how good of a recruiter are you, right? Can you get in people's living rooms and get talent that's better than you should be getting, right? And so maybe Matt Rule's just a good recruiter, or maybe that's part of it. Maybe his team works good in that environment, but also you've got these bigger rosters at the collegiate level, You've got all those scout, you know, scout, you know, it's just kind of a different process. Like when guys go down, you've got more quarterbacks in the background, maybe. I just don't know if those skill sets always present themselves in the same light at the pro game and vice versa, maybe. You know what I'm saying? Is I don't know if you could just send a pro coach into the college ranks and him be super successful and not have a lot of experience with scouting and dealing with young kids and dealing with academics and these different types of things. And again, that's why I continue to come back to the inexperience with this staff at the NFL level. It's not one person that was the problem. It's not just Matt, Matt Rule's pro, you know, inexperience, but you got a new GM, you got a new head coach, right? That has limited experience. You got an offensive coordinator that has never done it before for a long time. You've got deep, and these guys, they're not even able to help kind of uh, cushion some of that for you in the learning curve. I think the learning curve has been a lot. And I think that there was last year was a little bit of beginner's luck. It turns out. Um, and I think that Matt rule, the learning curve has been steep. So, um, so that's tough. It's tough. And, um, you know, um, all right. Uh, do the Panthers win this week? I say, no, I'm going, no, I'm not. I'm like, I'm, I'm picking against the Panthers and I'm, I'm not picking them until I have a better reason to pick them. CK, what's your saying? 
I don't think so. I just don't see a scenario in which it makes sense, you know, for me to think that they do. Um, you know, I have no reason to believe that the Panthers will win. So therefore, I'm going to pick them to win. Okay. I think they're going to uh, win. And, and by the way, do listen. My mindset from now until the end of time is fuck the Falcons, dude. Yeah, that's a team I hate more than like, anybody. Dude, and especially knowing that there's nothing to tank for. Like, listen, if there was a quarterback at the end of the road that I was in love with or more than one that I knew, hey, hey okay, maybe our answer is in the draft. Dude, I would want us to lose these games like I did last year, right? But now, again, knowing that we don't even have the picks to be able to go and get the guys that we need to rebuild the football team or whatever, dude, you might as well beat the fucking Falcons at home, man. Yeah. Oh, we want it to happen. We want it to happen. Really, losing doesn't help us this year. It doesn't help us. There's no uh, two picks in the top ten. There's no another team losing that helps you win. I mean, right now, like the person said in the chat, is the Jets are loving that trade for Darnold. The Eagles are going to have two picks in the top ten. The Jets are going to have two picks in the top ten. We're going to have one pick. And then we won't even, you know, we, at least we don't have to do those shows on day two. No follow-up <laughs> yeah. show, uh, for the draft night. So, yeah, I don't Unless I have to write. For drafting, yeah. true that. Uh, I do want to put the number back up for you guys to call in uh, uh, for the post game show two five two 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 eight fifty ninety eight. We'd love to field your calls. Maybe we will get a surprise win. We'd like to see Cam uh, kind of get some life to him. I'd love to see some fight in this team, um, just because it's getting tiresome uh, at this point talking about Matt Rule um, and Matt Fool, um, but uh, that is the way it is. Um, now it's time to finish out the segment or the show with our final segment, uh, the ice up pick, the ice up segment where we pay homage to Steve Smith, uh, where he to- uh, where we tell someone to ice up, toughen up to get it together. I'm well prepared this week, so um, if you guys want to go, I can go. You pick it. I think we're all prepared, right? You can't even have yeah. the one you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, mine will be super easy and super quick. Um, how in the fuck did the Vikings let the Detroit Lions do that in the last three <laughs> seconds of the game? I don't know if you guys watched this uh, game or how it ended, but basically the Vikings were up and they were winning with three seconds left. They had let them drop, let the the Detroit Lions with the NFL's worst offense drive all the way down the field with little to no impact, like little to no effort to try to stop them. And then when it came down to the last play of the game, the last play of the game, the defense that Mike Zimmer decided to throw out there had all of his defensive backs at the back of the end zone, like in the very back of the end zone saying like, fuck it. We don't need to guard the first nine yards of this entire field. Like that's and basically Jared golf through a dime. Don't want to take anything away from him. He did a fantastic job that night, but it was absolute dog shit. And that was absolutely hysterical to watch the Minnesota Vikings somehow shit the bed and find a way to lose to the winless Detroit lions who have now finally won another game so that they cannot be the only team to have lost 
all of their games in two different seasons. That would have been super mm. embarrassing, more so than it already was. And ice up, uh, ice up to the Vikings and shout out to uh, Jared Goff and his thick girlfriend. Good Lord. Oh, my God. Bro. Oh, did you see her? Oh, oh I know. I know. I know. I got a good tweet about it. I said, uh, Jared Goff's stock went up in my boob. I mean, book. All right. I'm ready to go if you're ready. Yeah, but yeah you want to go first? You want me to do it? Yeah, what, I'll go. I'll go. Look, is, uh, I want to talk about this real quick. Is there, There's a lot of good things to choose from for me. Right? Um, this litany. I like this guy. It's 29-year-old Jason Jones is in great. Well, actually, I don't want to... He actually is going to have to ice up because he um, burst into flames after dousing himself with hand sanitizer and going into a police station and causing ruckus. He got tased. And when they tased him, it set the um, hand sanitizer that he doused his entire body on fire. So he erupted into flames when he got tased. Was this suicide by cop? Like, is that what this was uh, trying to do? I don't know. He had a problem. He already got in trouble with them tonight. Like, he's like a, some, I don't know, but like, is that, uh, I don't, I don't think he was trying to commit suicide, but he had something where he was upset with them and he had some encounter with them the day before. And then he goes in there, uh, causing problem again and gets tased and erupts into, fr- uh, flames. So that's pretty, I mean, literally he's going to have to ice up. Uh, I have not followed. This was from, I found this story from November 6th. So, um, I wonder what his condition is. I won't follow up on it anymore, probably. Uh, the other one is this. is was, This was a fun story I read. Is a broken toilet in a SpaceX capsule means that the astronauts had to return to Earth wearing diapers. Uh, <laughs> that just is a funny read to me. Like that. Um, I would even say this abomination deserves an ice up. What the yeah. hell is this Panthers fan, this 25-season hat? that someone put up on Twitter, it's red. It's like Falcon. It's the wrong colors. Yeah, that's kind of ice that stupid ass shit up. Whoever approved that design, uh, I don't care if you're trying to match with your shoes or not. Yeah, and you got to pick a baseball team if you're trying to match with your shoes. It's, There's just certain colors. Okay, so this is somebody somebody customized. Yeah, has- at the store. Okay, I was worried that the Panthers were trying to at least like do something to change up their color scheme or something like that. And I was like, that somebody said that they horrible. I read some, one of the comments in Twitter said that, uh, it had to, uh, do with like trying to match it to some sort of and ones or some sort of tennis shoe, like some sort of line or something. I don't know, but either way, I don't care what it was. Terrible. My Did you make a it, green Bay Packer hat blue. Right. Or, 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 or brown. Purple. Like, yeah. Or purple. purple. Yeah, how dumb yeah. would that be? It's stupid. It's stupid. And if any fan did this on purpose, I don't. Which I don't believe that either. Yeah, so, yeah, um, hey, this guy put this up on Twitter, making fun of it. So he found it and he made it fun of it. Okay. My pick goes to this guy named John Pavlots Pav Pavlot pa- Pavlovitz Pavlovitz. Um, and all the people in the that responded to his tweet. Right. Uh, He said, if I didn't live here already, I'd never move here. We are in rapid decline. I'm staying to change that, but it's still the truth. So um, 
look is i really don't care what you're i actually i was like i started googling politics i was like what the hell's going on right now where people are like this like this bad i mean i like if anything you voted i'm taking it guy you didn't more in a trump fan if, if since i've read your bio and some things like technically things america refuted the guy that you had a problem with in some ways um i hate this idea that like uh Everywhere, like every like this is the shittiest place on earth, particularly like when we're like the our level of live our our quality of life is, you know, economically is pretty damn healthy. Um, I hate when you also compare it to countries, too, that are just um, like Western civilizations in these very small like Sweden, Switzerland, these super small places that don't have the dynamics and the cultural dynamics that we have. And you're like, Oh, I'd rather live there. But here's the thing is I don't even really give a shit about this dude. What I hated about this is I looked through hundreds of these responses of people in America saying this people all throughout the world saying they wouldn't. And they were all people that would be the most privileged people here in America. They were all white middle upper class people who probably have great i mean like i mean ultimately the people that should be bitching about america weren't even involved in this tweet right like i mean they were like it was like all white liberals these are all people these are all people that are mad at the amount of homeless people they see on their way to starbucks (laughs) exactly and it was just so like gosh all right i can understand someone who is facing real inequities in our society being like this place sucks and if i had the means i'd get the fuck out of here right like uh but these are all people that get the fruits of this like it's like uh it was just the whiniest wine and cheese discussion in the fucking world uh, and so I say, if you don't like it, you're fucking part of the problem, homie. Right? If you don't like it, change it, motherfucker. And guess what? You ain't doing shit with this stupid tweet that just gives everybody wine and cheese. So get some. You know what? I need some wine. I need some cheese for all these wine and crackers. That's what I need. That's what this one guy. This is a rap line. This guy I used to work with at this restaurant. It was so corny, man. I love it still. It's like he used to be this white rapper back, and he used to keep this blue book of rhymes in his back pocket and he was like yo i need some cheese for all these wine and crackers that's what he was talking about the people in this thread so to you guys i say ice up hey and this dude's been here the whole time and he says i'm staying to change that buddy maybe you should peace the fuck out we're in he's from white forest north carolina bro yeah, he's from like decline, <laughs> and you've been here the whole time you clearly aren't helping things, so maybe you should get the fuck out. Right. Um, so listen, if um, my ice up pick is kind of simple, kind of to the point. I think if you're an LSU Tiger fan, uh, like I know many of our viewers are, my brother is, so I'm going to rub this into him as well. But I have to feel like LSU fans probably feel the same way that, that Panther fans do and that they're a little bit hoodwinked. Uh, and I'll just put it to you like this. The new head coach for the LSU Tigers is Brian Kelly. And uh, he was the coach of Notre Dame. But this man was born in Massachusetts. Okay? You tell me if this sounds like a man born 
in Massachusetts, okay? Brian Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this is a great way to get started. And I started. haven't won all my games yet. What a dickhead statement. It's a great night to be a Tiger. A Tiger. My family. It's like, dude, what if, like, you're from Massachusetts and your family, Louisiana, like, dude, it's just like, it's so fraudulent, man. It seems so fake and so forced. And it's like, dude, just be yourself. Be yourself. They hired you because obviously they like something about you and you were good enough at your job to get the position. Quit being someone you're not, man. Quit being fake. Be yourself. And now he's a laughing stock. Burger McFarlane put it on his come on, man. That was his pick for come on, man, last night before uh, Monday Night Football. So literally everyone is laughing at this douche. Just being an idiot doing this fake country accent. Uh, to Brian Kelly, I'd say I sub so. <laughs> I saw I was watching the Pat McAfee show this week and Dar- they were talking about this. Uh, Darius Butler um, was on there and he said, well, one thing about this that's kind of interesting is that like, hey, man, he's been recruiting like crazy. He probably got an accent for every part of the country he goes into. <laughs> uh, but this tweet right here, bro, got me uh, laughing. Um, and dude, a mouse just ran across my damn I saw you looking at something. You better lift up your uh, Um, Look at this. Hold on. This shit. I want to show you this. I just saw this. Is that this shit got me. And it, uh, the tweet is uh, Brian sí, Kelly's sí, in sí, shambles. So this is the new coach sí, sí, of, of Miami, and this mug in there speaking Spanish. He's like, shit, I got to go learn Spanish now. Anyway, that's the C3 Panthers podcast brought to you by Carolina. I'm still here. Um, How do you even manage that? How does the audio come through? Oh, I guess you're using uh I use that voice meter. Was yeah, it yeah. echoing then? No, it had du- okay. it had double. It had double audio was going. Oh, so it was looping. Yeah. yeah. Sounded ridiculous. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh anyway, um that's the C3 Panthers podcast brought to you by Carolina Cat Chronicles.com, where every Tuesday night. Uh, we chop up the latest Panthers news and opinions from the fan perspective. My name's Tony Dunn. You can follow me on Twitter at cat underscore chronicles. Cody Lack, how can they get after you? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody Lack, C-O-D-Y-L-A-C on Twitter. You can find my written work at drafttech.com where I'm the analyst for the Carolina Panthers. And every Friday at 7 p.m. we do the Friday free-for-all here on the channel where you can join the show, be a part of it, come on camera, um, be a part of the podcast and tell us what you think about the Carolina Panthers. That's every Friday at 7 p.m. on the Friday free for all. 
telling that's it for me, man. Dude, my wife is going to, man, I hope she, thank God she doesn't watch this podcast because she would be flipping out that I said there's a mouse in the house. <laughs> I always say when I say when I want to get rid of my wife uh, for the weekend, I just go and buy a mouse from the pet shop and drop it in the house, and maybe she'll go stay at her mom's. <laughs> oh no! Uh, this is uh, we had one. We have, this is the only second mouse I've had in my house in, in six years I've seen, and uh, the, my daughter. We, the first one was just like a couple of weeks ago, and my daughter said, "Why are we still here?" <laughs> that was her answer when my wife said, "There we saw a mouse." All right, uh, Cody, how can they get at CK? How can they get after you? You can find me on pretty much all social media platforms, codizzle underscore Allen. Um, and I uh, will be streaming more, uh, I guess, less frequently than I used to do, but it'll be Monday nights and Friday nights. So if you guys want to come check out some uh, some games, Call of Duty, uh, the new map drops tomorrow, um, any of that stuff, just uh, come by and show me some love. All right, man, that's it. Take us out of here, Cody. All right, Panther Faithful. Until next time, keep pounding. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.